Driving that coach. 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 All right, and welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I'm AJ. And uh, welcome back to another beautiful week here in 2020. Uh, like I said, I'm just happy for us to be together again, man. As always, you know, fun stuff. And then we got a very fun subject tonight, Tiny Toon Adventures. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But We're first, continuing with our animation domination. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of like what's going on with us personally, um, things are going good right now. Uh, actually, funny enough, I was going to tell this too, too. Uh, a couple of our friends at our cigar shop, uh, Bo's Cigar Lounge in Torrance, uh, apparently my Disney Plus uh, commercial is out. Oh, yeah? I haven't seen it yet, but apparently they showed it at the shop. Everybody went crazy. I was like, oh, right. is it on? Uh, is it on, like, on the actual, like, uh, terrestrial broadcast? Or I, how, how did they see it? I'm guessing, yeah. It must have been, like, on a game or something. You know, they're always, they're always watching, like, you know, sports okay. and shit like this. So it must so have been on something. <laughs> so it's broadcast television. Yeah, cool. Yeah, like, oh, cool. I, I've yet to see it, but yeah. I guess I'm going to have to go back to the old model for a minute. All right, so for those of you who don't know, I did a commercial for Disney+, Plus, kind of explaining how much I love Disney+, Plus and stuff about it. And apparently it's out now. So mm. wherever you are, I'm pretty sure some of you guys will see it. If you see this big black guy explain how much he loves Disney+, Plus on the commercial, that's me. I'm more excited about this than when you did Geeks Who Drink. Really? Yeah. I love Geeks Who Drink. Yeah, but Geeks Who Drink had a really small audience. This has an audience of everyone. That's true. That is true. That's why I'm saying I think I think you're going to get a lot more play out of this. I appreciate that. Thank you. And also, uh, like I was saying here, we actually try, I'm trying to actually cut the show a little bit short because I actually have another uh, gig tomorrow morning for a YouTube Nobody shoot. Nobody believes you're going to cut it short. Yeah, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I have a YouTube thing tomorrow morning, so... Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, <laughs> let's go ahead <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into our first segment, which is uh, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy with our new thing song. Hold up. <clears throat> it's just dope, ain't it? It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, so what names you got for me tonight, man? Well, we're we're trying to keep it a little. Actually, I don't know. I, I was wanting to go a little more difficult for you, but I'll warm you up easy. Uh, okay. Pam Anderson. Okay. Number one, don't ever say you're going to warm me up easy. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever say that again. <laughs> well, in public. Okay, that's better. Thank you. Okay. Pam Anderson. I've earned it. Yes, you have. <laughs> okay, Pamela Anderson. I don't know if one was really barbed wire. I know that's a it's a hard one, but she technically technically crosses. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of anything about barbed wire. Uh, yada yada yada. You want to put that one on hold for a second and go to the next one? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, for the next one, uh, we're gonna do um, Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, a little easier. Yeah, actually, it's a little closer easier. to a contemporary. Actually, it is a little easier. Uh, Peter Fonda was in Easy Rider with uh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper was in... Uh, ah, got it. Yeah, Dennis Hopper was in <laughs> Super Mario Bros. the movie. 
with a movie uh, that should have never been yeah, made. Yeah, yeah, with uh, John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo was in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar with What's This Nice, What's This Nice. It's in <laughs> uh, uh, Dynamite is My Name, Eddie Murphy. You mean Dolomite? Do, sorry, did I Dynamite? You said Dynamite? Dolomite is my oh, name. Yeah. Sorry, Dolomite. Dolomite. I mean, you could probably still get to him through Black Dynamite. Probably could, but yeah, I, I, I like this rap. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the next one, then, I'm going to go with uh, an oldie but a goodie, Macaulay Culkin. Oh, that's too easy. I oh, know. Okay. I'm uh, trying to help you out well before you go back to Pam Anderson, which is nearly impossible. Man. It's almost a Mandy Moore like. Actually, option. no, not, not impossible anymore. I, I actually have a cast list. I can do it now. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, going back to uh, who who you say, Macaulay Culkin? All yeah. right, Macaulay Culkin was in. Let's go through the list of Macaulay Culkin movies. So uh, many beautiful ones. You're right. Uh, ah, I'll go this route. All right, Macaulay Culkin was in Home Alone with, uh, yeah, with Catherine O'Hara. Go that route. Catherine O'Hara was in Beetlejuice with Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones was in Howard the Duck with Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. <laughs> Tim Robbins was in Nothing to Lose with Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence was in Life with Eddie Murphy. You forgot about Howard the Duck. No, I'm just laughing no, because Jeffrey this is, jo- Jeffrey this is Jones, the most relevant yeah. Howard the Duck has ever been. This is the most relevant Je- Jeffrey Jones has been in a very long time. <laughs> and he was like he was a big villain back in the, in the oh. 80s. You remember that, right? He was the fair, the principal from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, and, no, look, he, was, he, was, he was great he was as the, the bad guy. He was the dad in fucking Beetlejuice, and he was the villain of Howard the Duck. Yep. So there you go. And <laughs> we got Howard the Duck. And but going back to the first one. All right, uh, so the Pam Anderson. Pam Anderson was in Barbed Wire with Tiny Lister. Tiny Lister was in uh, shit, so many movies. Oh fuck, I go this round. Uh, he was in The Fifth Element with Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker was in uh, what round do I want to go with Chris Tucker? Uh, Once you got the Fifth Element, you got no, 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 I got it. Uh, Chris Tucker was in Friday with. Uh, Neil Long. Neil Long was in uh, <laughs> Big Mama's House with Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence was in Life with Eddie Murphy. All right. One of my one of my favorites. Back that's a watch along right there. Which one? Life. Oh yeah, we gotta watch Life. Dude, that movie's life. fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, I mean, you managed to get there with all three of them. Took you a second with barbed wire. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever figured out Mandy Moore? <laughs> okay, so we're gonna go ahead and go to our next <laughs> segment, which is uh, WWBS. What would Busey say? Uh, so uh, we're going to do a little rant uh, through the mind of the great Gary Busey. <laughs> All right, so what is uh, Busey going to be ranting about tonight? Well, uh, I always have been curious um, as to his opinion on seafood. Okay. <clears throat> seafood. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you something. I actually have an allergy to crustaceans, so I don't really dig on seafood as much. Plus, the fact I've seen how seafood is prepared, you know, how people just yank a goddamn fish out of the ocean and, you know what I'm saying, rip out his guts. And while it is entertaining to watch, it's kind of disgusting. When you think about it, you got to put that in your mouth and put that in your body eventually. Uh, I might have some sushi every now and then, but I try to stay away from the from the, from the seafood as, as much as I can, you know. Maybe I might partake in maybe some, uh, some halibut, maybe a little cod. You know, maybe some uh, some good white fish. 
Yeah, I like that kind of stuff, man. Uh, but for the most part, I tend to stay away. You know, plus, I don't like how my fingers smell after you eat too much uh, seafood. You know what I'm saying? You get the fish smell on your fingers. And next thing you know, you're trying to finger a chick. And next thing you know, you don't know which, which is which. You know, is the fish smell on your fingers or the fish smell from the pussy? I don't know. You know, it gets weird, you know. And number one, I also really am a big advocate of the theory of Atlantis. Think about that. Now, there's an underwater city of underwater people, and among those people are these many, many different types of fish. Now, wouldn't that be disrespectful to just take those citizens of that underwater city and serve them on a plate to the surface dwellers? That could start a war, man. A war. I mean, with everything that's going on with Korea and Iran, I don't think you need that right now. I just, I just think, I think me not having seafood is a matter of national security. Tiger blood. Why has it got to be a whitefish? Because <laughs> it's, it's called whitefish. <laughs> I don't think there's no blackfish out there. Yeah, there, there's there, a, I watched a documentary. There's about blackened it. fish. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> How's that? It was pretty good. I, I didn't know where we were going at first, but once we got to stopping a war with Atlantis, <laughs> I, was enjoy- I was enjoying it. I like it when I can start with something sufficiently broad, and then yeah. we narrow down to the head of a pin, but like yeah, yeah. an absolutely acid-soaked pin. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way to do it. All right, so now we're going to go ahead and go to our next segment, Dropping That News. Dropping That News. I like that. Thank you. All right. So uh, one of the first things I see right here is uh, recently Vice TV has released the uh, lineup for the second season of the, of the TV show Dark Side of the Ring, which, uh, if, like I said, if you folks haven't seen that show before, it's really fucking dope. Please check it out. Like, it's a real good documentary series. Like, also, like I said, if you're, even if you're not a fan of pro wrestling, if you like, if you like true crime, like reenactment type shows, they do a really good job of that on this show. Well, it, if you like human interest, because here's the thing, yes. like, Everybody knows, especially if you grew up in the 80s and mm-hmm. the 90s, everybody knows what pro wrestling is. Mm-hmm. It's campy. It's overly dramatic. I mean, one of the best South Parks ever was when they're kind of joking about the almost soap operatic nature of it. Oh, yeah. when they, yeah, All they did was just soap operas so they didn't actually learn <laughs> how to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah. That was their way of thinking about wrestling. Yeah. But even if that's not your cup of tea... Mm-hmm. This is fantastic because it's such a great human interest piece. Yes, Getting it to is. to see how everything was going on behind the scenes and the real people, like the real toll this takes on them. I mean, we've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. I, I was the closest I ever got to like it re- legitimately was the uh, the volcano kid. Oh. He was actually related to uh, to a, f- a friend of our family. I got to meet him when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's not that glamour that you see in the ring. Oh no, not at I all. I mean, it is it is a hard. I mean, the the movie The Wrestler is far closer to the reality for those guys. It's and a, so yeah, it's a very hard life, man. Yeah, this really documentary, is. like you said, it's killer. Yeah. And that's why people now are so fascinated with pro wrestlers because it's like they're pretty much rock stars, man. Like freaking, they're living rock star lifestyles and not making. Some of them are not really making rock star money, but it's just the life and a the, lot of them are the travel and the drugs yeah. and the. Sex and all the crazy stuff that comes with that is interesting. It's hella interesting. It's very and, interesting. Yeah. Now, some of the subject matter that I'm going to be doing for season two of uh, Dark Side of the Ring are, includes the tragedy of Chris Benoit with his murder-suicide where he killed yeah. his wife and son and didn't kill himself. Um, there's, a, there's a wrestler named Dino Bravo who was a kind of a bad guy in the 80s, but he was involved in mild ties. Yeah. And ended up getting, like, 
took it out execution style. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Um, there's a wrestler named New Jack uh, from ECW Black Wrestler. Dude is out of his damn mind. <laughs> And like even for like the ECW guys, so that, that basically that's the hardcore wrestling where they do the blood and the barbed wire and wrestling in glass and thumbtacks. He, even he is like out there for those guys. Like this dude, yeah. is, this dude is a whole another level of hardcore. And um, the tragic death of uh, Owen Hart, um, yeah. which I actually watched live as a kid. It's a pretty fucked up thing to see. Like, you see, like, the final moments of it. I remember seeing the final moments of it in the live broadcast. I didn't believe what I was seeing. And yeah. you kind of see him, like, getting carted. You saw him getting carted out the ring. And then a couple minutes later, uh, announcer Jim Ross comes onto the uh, screen. I'll never forget it. Because I knew, I, even as a kid, I knew, yeah, he's, he's dead. Yeah. But he, Jim Ross, in his compulsion, and if you hear Jim Ross's take on it, he was only told he was dead 10 seconds before he went on the air. Yeah. Basically, he was like sitting there, like, uh, hey, uh, we need you to do an update. That's what they, the producers were telling him. We need you to do an update on Hart. I was like, well, what is the update? Uh, yeah, he's dead. And you're in in five, four, three. And pretty much he had to tell the world. He's like, uh, Owen Hart uh, fell, came from the ceiling this evening and he fell from the ceiling. And it is my unfortunate responsibility to let you all know that Owen Hart has died. Owen Hart has died. Here in the accident here tonight, and I was like, "Wow!" It was, it was a very sobering moment, even as a kid, man. Oh yeah. And another one that I really uh, was, that it's was gonna, a hard one. Yeah, it's gonna be more of a levity one that they have on here. Brawl for all, which is a uh, <laughs> you remember Brawl for all, right? Yeah. It was well, basically for those of you who don't know, Brawl for all was this like shoot innovation for WWF, where around like 1998, where they decided they wanted to do shoot fights on WWE programming involving some of the WWE superstars because a lot of them purport themselves to be tough guys and all this other stuff. Yep. So one particular writer is like, you know what? How about we prove it? So he just set up this uh, tough man tournament uh, with guys getting, you know, they had like a, it's pretty much MMA style. They were like punching and doing kickboxing and doing takedowns and stuff like that. But a lot of those guys got legitimately hurt, which is awful for the wrestling business because the fact they're doing shoot fights, but they have to travel from town to town. Like that's that's why UFC doesn't really do like touring like that because it's not meant for them to. Well, yeah, I mean yeah. they they treat it like like the sport that it is, right? Because yeah. if you do like UFC or boxing or or any of those other kind of sports, right? You every week. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, not not in those sports. In those sports, it's not every week that you're doing something. You're going to train for six months or a year or two years sometimes if you get that far in advance yeah. for a specific fight with a specific person, and then you're looking at depending on. How good or bad it went for you, three weeks, four weeks, three or four months, depending on, to get totally even close to back. Like, think about the times where you've had somebody break an arm or a yes. leg. Yeah. I mean, it can be a massive road to recovery. And when yeah. you have something like WWE yeah. or WWF where you're traveling every week, and every week it's it's as much a show as it is anything else, and it's physical. I mean, don't th- yeah. this, basically what you're watching with that mm-hmm. is you're watching a lot of extremely well-trained athletic stuntmen mm-hmm. do some crazy stunts mm-hmm. in line with whatever the uh, the, the specific uh, script has been, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, you've got them kind of doing a little bit of a. Uh, 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 improvisational thing so they know okay so we're we have to end with this body slam with this guy on top right it's there, there's a whole pageantry to it that goes along but at the end of the day it's a massive physical undertaking and when you start taking guys out of that realm where 
they are either pulling punches or going just slightly to the left or the right or helping each other. Because, I mean, you watch, like, a lot of the body slams and, like, some of the different holds they get into. These guys obviously are working together, right, mm. to put on a show. Right. As soon as you go to the fight side, mm-hmm. now you're putting your most precious asset, your performers, in a position where they're going to get fucked up. At risk, yeah. Really it, bad. It, it actually messed up a lot of people, and it really didn't help anybody in, in the no. long run. So, I mean, it but, was an interesting innovation, but... <laughs> yeah. But uh, like I said, uh, if you ever get a chance, check out Dark Side of the Ring on Vice. It's a really good show. Check it out. It's fantastic. Also, in news, we have two unfortunate passing ways, two deaths this week. Uh, First off will be uh, Nathaniel Taylor, uh, who most people remember as Rallo from Sanford and Son. Uh, He passed away at the age of 80 years old. Uh, Rallo, I love Rallo because he was always in some scheme with with, uh, Lamont. And it, Rollo wasn't that bad a dude, but Fred always painted Rollo as like this criminal. He, want, he I mean, he, like he, you know, he's a dude. But that's that's part of that generation gap though that they're exploiting there. Yeah, Rollo would do some like he would do some shady, shady shit every once in a while, but he wasn't a bad guy. He was always trying to help out Lamont, and he always treated Fred nice. He kind of it kind of reminded me yeah. of the dude who uh, kept showing up in a barber shop trying to sell DVDs and shit like bootlegging and yeah, all that. That's, like that's basically just, Rallo. just trying yeah. to get by. Yeah, but, it, but another great character from a great black series from the seventies. Yeah, uh, didn't really do much outside of Fran- Sanford and Son, but that was his main thing. Was Rallo. But then again, I mean, who knows for sure what his deal was? But he might not have had to. Yeah, because cool. that was on the air for a while. Yeah, so rest in peace, Nathaniel Taylor. Yeah. And another one that really hit Hollywood: the death of James Lipton, the host of Inside the Actor Studio. He passed away a couple of days ago at the age of ninety-three. Now that's a long run. Yeah. Now I actually had uh, a personal list that I did of uh, the the uh, Inside the Actor Studio questions, just in case I would ever get on the show. You know, this, 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 did you did you know him first from that show? Yeah, that's the only thing I really know did, him from. You know, because I'm I'm probably a little weirder on it. The way I got introduced was through his role initially on uh, Arrested Development. Oh right? yeah, because that was in about I think it was like 2001, 2002, something mm-hmm. like 15, 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I found Inside the Actors Studio later because of that because I enjoyed his performance. I thought it was funny. I was like, oh, this guy's doing a talk show. I'll see what he's doing. Yeah, but he always ended with the uh, he, he was so ingratiating to the people that would come on there and do the you know the uh, you know pretty much go over the whole line of work and you know saying explain to me what it was. Did you ever me. did you ever pull his yeah. IMDb? Yeah. Because I, I was trying to remember, that's, Inside the Actor Studio is the thing he's most famous for, but it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting because he, he was never, like, the world's great character actor, right? Like, he found a niche for himself almost mm-hmm. more, in some ways, kind of, I think, coaching to a certain a certain extent. Yeah. But it was also just more being a proponent of the of the art. Yes, he was. And he was very much, you know, a big... Uh Big influence on a lot of people, particularly uh, Bradley Cooper, who was a student yeah. at the actor studio, uh, and a couple other people that acted. But that was, I remember watching the show and seeing Bradley Cooper in the crowd a bunch of times. Like yeah, he asked a couple questions in a couple episodes. But uh, yeah, man, like freaking. You know, in fact, I think it wasn't an inside the actor studio where where he got to ask questions of uh, Robert De Niro. I believe it was because I I actually was at this SAG thing with a buddy of mine a while back, mm-hmm. and um, Bradley Cooper was there, and he was talking about how for him. The fact that he was able to ask the question and have the interaction with Robert De Niro, it was one of the things, because he was just talking about the multiple times in his career where he's almost quit mm-hmm. prior to blowing up with, you know, <laughs> the hangover, really. That's what that shot him into the stratosphere, essentially. But he, yeah. he was saying that that part of Inside the Actor Studio, the, mm-hmm. the interaction with 
performers who are where he wanted to be mm-hmm. kept him going. Actually, personally, the thing that really got me on um, Bradley Cooper's radar was actually Wedding Crashers. I know, me too. Yeah, he's a bad. Well, I love, I love. I love that thing when he's talking about cleaning the baby seals and he's he's doing he's making the noise yeah. about or was it yeah the yeah, seal yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like it's like, poof, poof, he's like poof, poof, with the, yeah, that so, whole thing. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> Owen Wilson's like, oh, just give me the drops. Yeah. We gotta poison him. Alright, so what we're gonna do right now is a tribute to James Lipton. Um I'm gonna have AJ here do the uh famous uh questionnaire uh from uh, Inside Daddy Studio to me. Uh so yeah. What is your favorite word? Metamorphosis. I've always been fascinated with change. Yeah, so go ahead. What is your least favorite word? Won't. A lot of people say can't, especially on that show. Uh, I say won't because the fact that, like, won't to me indicates that I can do something, I just don't want to. Fascinating. What (laughs) turns you on? Physically big tits. Uh... (laughs) Overall, what person? In your art. Uh, uh, overall, for a person, a uh, good sense of humor. Okay. What turns you off in your art? In my art, <coughs> I hate people who will sooner give you give you their resume as opposed to say, you know, hello, how are you? You know, what I'm saying people lose the whole human factor and they're, and they're just trying to network for the sake of networking. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can network. It's a great way to you know get uh, attention and all that good stuff. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I just ask. I asked how you how are you. I didn't ask you what your resume was, but uh, realistically, ignorance uh, and re- ignorance can go in different forms, like racial ignorance, gender ignorance. You know, saying things of that nature. I blatantly ignorant people really turn me off. Mm. Is that because it's it's willful? Yes, mm. that's exactly what it is. No. What sound or noise do you love? I love the ocean at night and baby laughs. Real talk. What sound or noise do you hate? Metal scraping against metal. Like construction sites, like, I can't stand this shit. Or like the bad, it sounds like bad breaks. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, motherfucker. Well, that's most people's favorite because of of its versatility. It is probably the most versatile word yeah. in the human language. And personally, English personally, language. one thing I do, one, one, another one I do love, snatch. <laughs> versatile Not as versatile But versatile No, nah, no, nah, But like these white boys Just do it at the club all the time Hey bro We're gonna get some beers We're gonna get some snatch <laughs> It's always made me laugh What profession Other than your own Would you like to attempt? Uh, I always said If acting didn't work out I'll probably go back to medicine What profession Would you not like to do? Politics can't stand politicians or politics and know what I ever want to be a part of it. I believe your IMDb is shooting through the roof right now. Your popularity must be rising. Yeah, right. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Good job, big guy. I'm proud of you. Come on in. Mm. The grandpa's waiting for you. Illuminating. Yeah. Thank you. See? It was a horrible James Lipton on my part, but I tried. But it, but the essence is there. Yeah. Rest in peace, James Lipton. Right? Absolutely. And that was uh, dropping that news. Dropping that news. That was a good one, dude. Thank you. Yeah.
I was trying to channel James. No, no, no. This is overall the fact we did that. That was dope. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the meat potatoes of our podcast today. Tiny Toon Adventures, one of my favorite cartoons ever. I think one of the best ones ever produced. It's okay. Uh, yeah, now, stop. Now, uh, in terms of a personal story, where it introduced me to the show, uh, same thing, Fox Kids. Uh, you come home every uh, every afternoon from school. First thing on TV when you get home is Tiny Toons. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. And you need to watch the other lineup. Like, sometimes they would have Batman. Sometimes they have Power Rangers. But usually the the lead cartoon was Tiny Toons. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing from my perspective as far as how I got into it, I obviously grew up child of the 80s watching a lot of the, uh, the original Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have a whole other thing on that, how... Interestingly, mm, shall we say racially insensitive, some of the earlier oh episodes were. Oh, my God. <laughs> but came into it with fan of Bugs Bunny, mm-hmm. Tasmanian Devil, Daffy Duck. And then yeah. when you see the infantilized version, yeah. it was... It was fantastic. I, I see some of the cartoons. I'm like, I don't blame the, don't blame Bugs. It's not his fault. <laughs> it's not Bugs' fault. It's Dude, the people that ran Bugs. The worst. Yeah. The the one where it ends with him singing "I wish I were in Dixie" in blackface. Did you see that one? Oh, God. Yes, I did. He's like Elmer Fudd's gonna kill him. Yeah. All right. I wish I was. What? Do you have any last requests? And he starts saying "I wish I were in Dixie." Yeah, and then like, and then all of a sudden you see the whole group of all of them in blackface, and yeah, it's bad. That was a bad one. And then I mean, but you get it with everyone across the board, especially if you get into mm-hmm. like some of the shit they were making during World War Two. They actually like, had, they, super racist against yeah, Asians. Yeah, yeah, particularly the Japanese. Yeah. So, yeah. but um. But yeah. they never had that problem with Tiny Toons. No, they never did. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Not God. even close. That guy. Now, uh, apparently the idea initially for Tiny Toons started with uh, an idea that was initiated by Terry Smeagol, uh, Seymour, excuse me, the then president of Warner Brothers. He wanted to inject new life into the uh, Warner Brothers animation department. Yep. And at the same time, they wanted to create a junior version of the Looney Tunes characters. Now, they proposed that this new series would be based on Looney Tunes, where these characters would be either young versions of the original or maybe their offspring. Now, uh, the idea of uh, the whole series of, you know, uh, younger-based versions of uh, popular cartoons, like I said, we talked about last time with a pub named Scooby-Doo, the babyfication phase. Yeah. Like I said, it happened with different cartoons. Really started with uh, Muppet Babies and just went on, like I said, Muppet Babies, a pub named Scooby-Doo, Tom and Jerry Kids, Flintstone Kids. There's a bunch of them just like that, you know, yeah. like uh, kid versions of popular established cartoon characters. Well, and, and Terry, apparently uh, in 87, he originally reached out to Spielberg, who was doing Amblin Entertainment at the time. Mm-hmm. And the original idea, they, they actually at least were starting to have a discussion about it as a feature film. That's right. Um, but uh, after, you know, some soul searching and realizing, you know, what was going to make it or not make it, looking at the fact that Disney pretty much has a lockdown on any animated feature film, mm-hmm. uh, they made the great decision to take it to a TV series. Yeah, to reach a broader audience. Yeah. One, and they wanted the characters to be sufficiently different enough, which is why officially Buster and Babs aren't related to Bugs. Yeah, no direct relation to any of the characters, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, uh, in terms of like uh, overseeing the cartoon itself, they hired Gene uh, McCurdy uh, to oversee production of the actual uh, cartoon itself. And then they hired Tom Ruger, again, who we mentioned last time, who was the main writer of A Pup Named Scooby-Doo and a couple of the Scooby incarnations before A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. And he was one of the ones that really injected some, uh, you know, irreverent pop culture-based comedy into those shows. You know what's crazy is that the the more I learn about specifically animated series and animation in Hollywood, mm-hmm. it is such a small, small, small group of people yep. that have anything to do with that. I mean, 
as, as much as we talk about Hollywood, people that are really working on a regular basis in film and television being mm-hmm. like a high school, mm-hmm. this is more like a specific class in a high school, like a freshman yeah. class. Like, it's super tiny. Yeah, and then, like, you see certain names over and over again, like freaking Frank Welker. Yeah, well, it, it, well, I mean, there's a this obviously isn't the time to go into it, but yeah. there's a really great biography I read about um, Walt Disney, and there were so many guys that cut their teeth working with Walt back in the day mm-hmm. that then broke out, and I mean, Looney Tunes, mm-hmm. that all started. Yeah, they worked at Disney. First. Exactly, that that was the, the impetus for yeah, everything. That's right. Now, uh, in terms of. Uh Development for the characters themselves. Uh, Tom Ruger, another writer named uh, Wayne Katz, actually sat down with Steven Spielberg around uh, 1989. He started developing the characters themselves and also came up with the setting, Acme Acres, which is what we'll get into a little bit later. Now, in 89, they started choosing the voice actors. They basically auditioned over 1,200 different voice actors. And then then they started putting together the 100-person production staff for the show. Uh, in, 18, in April 89, the full production of the series began with five overseas animation houses and a budget of $25 million. Now, the first 65 episodes of the show were in syndication in 135 markets, and that began in September 1990. Now, the actual show itself, when it came on, it was a huge success. It got higher ratings than the Disney afternoon stuff. So that's, yep. keep in mind, think of, think of that uh, time frame. So it's DuckTales. Darkwing Duck, you know what I'm saying? Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Tailspin, yeah. So they were outranking them, yep. which is a good, which is crazy, you know what I'm saying? Well, and, and, and they outranking Scooby. True. And I mean, they were killing everybody. Yeah. Now, the, continue, the production of the show continued up until late 1992 when they started making way for the next series, Animaniacs. Yeah. yeah, that'd be one to get into one of these days. Ooh, boy, I would love to get into Animaniacs. <laughs> well, one of the things that I find, just as a quick aside, most mm-hmm. interesting about this is that if you look at, and I know we're going to get a lot deeper in a second here into the humor, but if you look at the style of the humor of how they did this, mm-hmm. this had sufficiently enough humor in it for an adult audience that I think in a lot of ways you have to credit it as probably the earliest innovator towards adult-centric um, animated. Yes. Because, I mean, it's 92, right, when, yeah. when they essentially go off here and enroll to Animaniacs. You can follow that through to eventually Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. Finally, with probably the biggest one ever, South Park. Yeah. For adult animation. And it, it really spawned its own genre. Well, technically, if you want to go real adult animation, Simpsons. Yeah, Simpsons. Simpsons. Well, of course. Yeah. I'm, Sim- Simpsons was before that, so... I uh, just want to just want to throw that in. And also, a couple other ones: Beavis and Fair Butthead. Enough. Beavis and Butthead, and then of course now Family Guy. So I'm giving Tiny Toons a lot of credit because I like them. I love them too. <laughs> now, in terms of the casting, like I said, they went over 1,200 different voice actors. Now, initially, Mel Blanc, the original voice of the Looney Tunes, was actually set to reprise his roles on the show, but he died in. That that's all, folks. But he passed away in 1989. The great Mel Blanc passed away, so his characters were recast with actors like Jeff Bergman, uh, Joe Alasky, who was also the voice of Plucky Duck. Get into that a little bit later. Who did the voice of the uh, the little rooster? Little rooster, yeah, the little rooster. I'm, get, I'm, I'm gonna get into that a little later because yeah. he sounds like Bill Burr. I was watching that it's again not, recently. I know it's not, yeah, yeah. but it's it's ridiculous. Even some of the stuff yeah, he, he does. says. Yeah, like, think about it. He's he got some. this quip where he's walking past a, a fat person at one point. Yeah. He goes, "Well, you got your own zip code." Yeah, but he yeah. sounds like Bill Burr when he says it. It's freaking hilarious. I have information on that. Okay, when I can't I wait get, to get to that point when I, when I get to the characters. Now, in terms of the animation itself, uh, they actually can, had several different North American and international houses. The main ones they used were. Uh, uh, TMS Entertainment, Wayne Film Productions, uh, AKOM, 
uh, freelance animators New Zealand, Star Tunes, and Kennedy Cartoons. Now, the TMS Entertainment, they're the ones that made the animated, uh, the uh, actually opening sequence. We're tiny. We're tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones that made that one. And then there's another one, Kennedy Cartoons. They actually let them go because of the fact they actually did not like that studio's inconsistent animation quality. And if you watch some of the episodes, you can see it. Well, and it's crazy, too, because, I mean, like, the younger people, like, mm-hmm. people slightly younger than us, right? Everyone's used to it all being done in computer animated. Yeah. Back then, they're still hand-drawing cells. Mm-hmm. Like, cells. it was ridiculous what they had to do. And apparently, the cell count for this show was actually double than most of the shows. So. I, I believe it. I mean, there was a lot of variety. Yes, sir. Now, uh, in terms of the music itself, Steven Spielberg was adamant that we had that they had to have a full orchestra basically more or less to illustrate the classic feel of the classic Looney Tunes because they had right. full orchestras and then the, the actual the producer uh, Gene uh, McCurdy was like oh no that might be too expensive Steven's like we're going to have a full orchestra mm-hmm. I'm Steven Spielberg <laughs> yeah exactly it's like, you remember the time I'm the biggest name in town uh, yeah, uh, we're having an orchestra. <laughs> so they worked it out. And actually, the main orchestrator uh, for the music of the show was uh, Bruce Broughton. Yep. And he's the one that wrote the We're Tiny, We're Toony, We're All a Little Loony, and most of the music on the show. And he actually won the Emmy for that song. As he should have. Yes, right. It's a great, it's a great theme song. Yeah, he was, he, was, uh, he was basically the main music supervisor for the show. They had different orchestrators come in and do different takes, but uh, Bruce Broughton was the main guy. Now, let's get into some of the aspects well, of the show. Just go before for, we go, go past, since go we're for. talking about the finances on it. Go for it. They say that it was about $60,000 an episode just for the music because they were using somewhere between a 30 to a 35-piece orchestra. And you could tell. You could listen to it. it exactly. Tell. I mean, you could, it's, it's full. The, music, the musical quality of this show is fantastic, even compared to shows today, man. Like, freaking, like you listen to the show, they have some really good, oh. very snappy, you know, great, great music. And it, and it really did invoke that feeling of the classic Looney Tunes, you know what I'm saying? Yep, 100%. Spe- especially the music they will play over, like, the title cards and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really cool. Now, like I said, going into the actual show itself, Acme Acres is where it's based. Now, the name Acme was used in God knows how many cartoons in there. It's basically just a umbrella uh, concept for, like, this company that in the classic Looney Tunes would make, like, these ridiculous, you know, products. They made, they made everything, but usually stuff that was ridiculous, like anvils and explosives and giant rocket rubber, cars. Giant and, rubber bands. Yeah, and all kinds of... Batman suits, Superman suits, uh, yeah. rocket-powered uh, skates, rocket-powered skateboards, rocket-powered uh, scooters. Anything you anything you think of in terms of conveyance, rocket power. Well, and anything that's ridiculous, like I'm, I never saw it, but they might have. They they could have basically had Acme apples. Like they literally yeah. anything and everything was Acme yeah. product. What was the shit they had? Uh, earthquake pills. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you swallow you, you swallow you the water shake. and that, you just turns into small earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> earthquake pills. Now the uh, the actual location of Acme Acres has never been defined, but there were certain instances where most people think it's actually based in California. It looks like Burbank outside the Warner's lot. Exactly. Especially when they're doing stuff there, because they have the, the Acme Water Tower looks like the Warner Brothers. Yeah, there is one reference in the uh, Spring Break Tiny Toon special where they says that Acme Acres is actually approximately one thousand miles away from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, along along, along uh, Interstate ninety five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, now, most of the activity of the show in Acme Acres takes place at Acme University, mm-hmm. the schools that the school that the kids attend in this particular show. Now, Acme University is a school located in Acme Acres, 
And uh, basically it was taught, they were all taught by the famous Looney Tunes characters, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, all those guys. Yep. And the name uh, Looniversity, of course, is a pun on University, and the Looney Tunes get down. Now, it's, it's supposed to be a high school, but like a lot of people say because of the physical appearance of the Looney Tunes, how much smaller they are, like it would, it would come across as like an elementary school. But yeah, but, but it's also it's it's uh, Acme University, so it almost sounds collegiate. And mm-hmm. we can get to it later when we get to the the band episodes. But there's mm-hmm. enough stuff that also kind of leans into well, mm-hmm. maybe they're like late teens. Yeah, and the main rival was a school called Perfecto Prep. And the funny thing about Perfecto Prep is most of those characters were basically just hardcore versions of the the, the Disney characters. Yeah. So they had uh, they had a uh, Minnie and Mickey Mouse, uh, Rodney and Roberta Rat. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a, a two dog. They had a Donald Duck character. I forgot his name. And the same thing, like all these like Montana the, Max. Yeah, the same thing. There's just like all these different uh, uh, Disney characters as the bad guys. And I love that when they, there was one time when they were doing like a football game and they had like cheerleaders and they were so like preppy and they like that. The trip was this perfecto, raw. That's it. They're <laughs> 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 just so bored. <laughs> perfecto, raw. <laughs> <laughs> it was too good. And but meanwhile, in university, you get them back, get them back, perfecto, raw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I say, and then once they um, graduate from Acme University, they get what they call a diploma of lunacy, which gives them the opportunity to become full time cartoon characters. Yeah, full Looney Tunes. Now, in terms of some of the staff, let's go through some of the staff. Like uh, Buzz Bunny was the principal. He was yep. also the teacher of Wisecracks. He was the football coach. And also taught basic wild takes. Uh, D, uh, <laughs> Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner were deans. They they taught hard knocks, <laughs> which is great for them. Yeah. And uh, Professor Daffy Duck taught spotlight stealing, self cynicism, advanced wild takes. Professor Elmer Fudd taught uh, science, c- cartoon logic. He was the umpire for the baseball team. He also taught footology. <laughs> uh, Professor Foghorn Leghorn taught hound teasing. <laughs> uh, granny, oh yeah, Granny. Sounds so dirty. Yeah, Granny from the um, um, Tweety cartoons is actually she was the receptionist, the head nurse, and she taught calculations. Pepe Le Pew taught smellology. I wish she'd taught ciphering. True. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna teach you to cipher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one with her is that they did the Red Riding Hood one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wolf. One of these days. One of these days. <laughs> pow! Right in the kisser. Like that shit is funny. <laughs> and then the wolf kept forgetting the Red Riding Hood name. Hey, uh, hey what happened? Uh, uh, it was Sylvester on his bed. Hey, what the girl name again? Red Riding Hood. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, the Red Riding Hood? <laughs> <laughs> that shit was funny. <laughs> All right, going back to the staff. Uh, Pete Puma was the janitor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, I'm sorry. How did he get away with Pete Puma, man? That was a crazy character. <laughs> I got a little rabbit at the door. <laughs> and I was so I, worried about him. <laughs> 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 It was 1991. That's how they got away with it. People was the shit, man. I love people. <laughs> but he was the janitor. <laughs> uh, Professor Porky Pig taught props and physical comedy. I don't know why. Uh, Sylvester the Cat was, he was like the announcer for the uh, football team. He was the athletic director, and he also taught uh, mouse cat, uh, mouse bird chasing. Yep. Professor Tweedy uh, taught uh, villain whooping. <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez was the track coach. 
Professor Taz taught destruction, and Professor Yosemite Sam taught uh, class clowning and exploding cakes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now I this, love Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam is the best, man. Hey, you lily-livered varmint. I saw somebody look just like him, dog. <laughs> Little short dude with a giant, like, <laughs> handlebar mustache. Was it red? Bro. Please be red. I think it's like I think it's like uh, if great. it wasn't red, he's missing out on a yeah, great. But he had the cowboy head and everything. Like God damn, this you saying what I'm saying? <laughs> Little short dude too. Where was he? Shit, it was like some uh, event out here or something. In but California? Yeah. yeah, that's some balls right there. Mm-hmm. So if you told me you ran into that in Texas or Alabama or something, like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. no, gigantic mustache, had a cowboy hat, <laughs> short little dudes out here somewhere. It was like something out of Long Beach. I remember that. <laughs> 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 please tell, please tell me it was over like outside Roscoe's. No, we went nowhere. He's uh, well, going to the I, con I, club. Actually, you know what? It was somewhere downtown. It might have been like a concert or some shit. All right, that's a little less weird. But I'm just yeah. thinking, somebody walking around Long Beach. I spent a lot of time in Long Beach. Long Beach, a little warm. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you'll serve the same cut. <laughs> Dude, sorry. Just yeah. as a quick aside. Yeah. Are you aware of the Compton Cowboy? I've heard of it. I know, I've Dude, heard of it. I was working. I was working over there, and I was driving home uh, one day. It was like four. Well, no, it was more like five or six in the morning because I was fucking exhausted. I had this all nighter, mm-hmm. and I saw somebody riding a horse over an overpass off the one ten. And I was like, <laughs> I seriously, I didn't know if I was having a stroke or uh, like, what the fuck was going. Yeah, or hallucination because yeah. I was tired. And the next day, mm-hmm. I was talking to this guy who worked with us. Who he happens to be a cowboy. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I told him what I saw, and he's like, oh, you saw the Compton Cowboy. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I know him. He's a great guy, whatever. So, okay, well, hold on. It's the Compton Cowboy. Yeah, the Compton he's like, Cowboy. He's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he rides his horse everywhere. He's trying to get kids out of gangs. I was like. Is he now? That's what he told me. I was like, well, that's a very interesting <laughs> Way to try to get kids out of gangs, it's, it's, just show up on your horse, be like, it's a, Of course, it's a black guy. If it's a white uh, guy, he'd be dead already. Yeah, yeah. You're not, I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like, cowboy. You're not gonna, he, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Good for him to do it because, I mean, shit, I don't even, short of going to a racetrack, I don't even know where you're gonna find horses around Los Angeles. Mm, you'd be surprised. I was. I was. No, 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 no. I got a lot. I got a lot of friends who do like horse stuff. So yeah. Well, dude, I, yeah. look. I love horses. You know me. I'm a Wyoming cowboy, but yeah. I, I ain't wearing that shit going around. Compton. Yeah, yeah. Compton. I get you that. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the characters themselves and their mentors. Now, the first one, Buster Bunny. He's oh, the yeah. main character of the show. Him and Babs. Uh, he basically would do anything for a laugh. Of the two, he's the more sane and calm one. Uh, his mentor, of course, and was uh, Bugs Bunny. And basically, Buster and Babs kind of, like, epitomize early and current Bugs Bunny. Now, Buster would be current Bugs Bunny, plus he's, like, the epitome of the rabbit next door. He's that cool kid. You know what I'm saying? He's a series star. He was the co-host. He was usually the one that was commenting or narrating stories. Uh, he, you know, he's a winner. You know what I'm saying? He's a kid with a lot of dreams and ambitions. He's, he's the kid. Like, he's like a young Bugs. He's the kid everybody wants to be. You know, a little mischief-making little motherfucker who gets away with it. Now, do you, do you know what his name originally was? Yeah. Uh, I think I have it here. It was... Uh, it was Bitsy. That's right. Yeah, it was right there, Bitsy. It was Bitsy. And it was, uh, it was producer and writer Tom uh, Ruger mm-hmm. got on the scene. He's like, yeah. No, we're not doing Bitsy. No, 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 no. I, I agree with that. No. Now, in terms of the voice of Buster Bunny, uh, apparently Buster was the last and hardest voice to cast. And the original actor was Charlie Adler. Now, Charlie Adler did a lot of other voice work. You, you, if you hear his voice, you've heard in a million different cartoons. Oh, other, yeah. than, other than Tiny Toons, I remember him. He was the red guy in Cow Chicken. 
Oh yeah, he yeah, was the yeah. devil. The devil dude. Shit, yeah, I forgot all about Charlie cow and chicken. Adler, cow and chicken. <laughs> mama was, mommy had a chicken. Mama had a cow. Dad was proud. He didn't care. How. <laughs> Such a stupid cartoon. But yeah, Charlie Adler was the red guy, and he was also Ickis on Ah Real Monsters, the little oh, red really? thing, the little red bunny looking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was him. Now, uh, they, uh, Tom Ruger said initially uh, his voice was like a little too gravelly and over the top, but he brought a great deal of energy to it. Steven Spielberg and a lot of people did not want Charlie Adler, but the voice director, the great Andrea Romano, she fought for him. And he actually landed it. He said the first time is the first time in 30 series or whatever that he did that he was having the best time of his life working. Now, that was then, but then towards season three of Animaniacs, they started, uh, started season three of Tiny Toons. They started working on Animaniacs, and Charlie was disappointed that he didn't get offered a recurring part, a recurring part on that. Because most of the people that were on Tiny Toons, they rolled like, over. Yeah, they rolled over, and they got like main parts on there. Charlie didn't. Uh, he, you know, him and his agent were pissed off about that. They had like well, a lot as of, they, as they yeah. should be, because not mm-hmm. to get too far out of mm-hmm. ourselves here, but three seasons, they yeah. won the daytime Emmy. Yeah. Every year. Exactly. I mean, they they were cleaning it up, and it's because, in large part, due to him, because he was carrying a huge chunk of that. He was the, he was the, one of the series' main stars. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, uh, he thought his treatment was shabby, and that he left the show. After he left, uh, the role was taken over by John Casser. Hmm. Now you know who John Casser is, right? Oh yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, John Casser was the voice of the Crypt Keeper on Tales from the Crypt, mm-hmm. which is funny enough because they actually did a Tales from the Crypt episode on Tiny Toons. Oh, with, man. Yeah, yeah, with John as yeah, Buster, John as Buster <laughs> as the Crib Keeper. And I was like, it was so dope. Yeah, that has to be hard though from a performer standpoint because mm-hmm. you've already got a character and now you're having to do another character doing your character. Basically, I mean that's that's heavy. That is heavy right there. Now initially, uh, Buster was supposed to have a catchphrase, "Hello, nurse." Oh yeah, but uh, that idea was dropped because of the fact they could not think of a good reason for him to do it. So it rolled over to the next series, Animaniacs, and it was given to the Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the next up, Babs Bunny. Yeah. I love Babs. I, I really do like Babs. Like, she's, you know, female, pink bunny, basically do anything for a laugh. Babs's main thing is that she's fantastic at improv- improvisational comedy, and she's a great impressionist. Yep. Like, like Basically like Robin Williams-type impressionist. She could do an impression at the drop of a hat, you know what I'm saying? And she does that on the show. Uh, she's a lot more she, high energy. She does it all the time. Yeah, she's a lot more high energy than Buster. And like I said, of uh, the Bugs Bunny dichotomy, Babs kind of represents early Bugs, like before he got kind of calmed down, like when he was real zany, like, you know, yeah. like that, that kind of version of Bugs. So, uh, but she's basically a one person, you know, entertainment center. Her and Buster are best, best friends on the show, but they indicate in several episodes that they're like boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. So, uh, and like I said, they play well off of each other, and they basically the, uh, they, they were going for the whole vibe of like you know Allen and Burns, you know that kind of thing, that classic uh, man woman comedy team get down. And then whenever they would introduce themselves, they were like, "Hi, I'm Bu- Hi, I'm Buster Bunny, and I'm Bass Bunny, no relation." <laughs> just to make sure we're good on that, like yeah, we just happen to have the same last name, and we happen to be the same species, but we're not related. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now the voice of uh, Babs was uh, the great Tress McNeil. Uh, she's a groundless actress out here. And the reason that they picked her is because of the fact that Tress not, on, not only was good at the actual part itself, but she could do all the impressions that Babs would have to do. So you see you see episodes of her doing, like, you know, Jessica Rabbit and pa- yeah. Dolly Parton, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. She's, she goes the whole gambit, man. 
Well, and then obviously it would go to like more classic stuff like yeah. uh, like was it was it Aubrey Hepburn or Carol Hepburn I think Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, she, yeah, she yeah she does the Catherine Hepburn a couple times. Yeah, yeah, and also uh, another fun fact: uh, Tress McNeil is also the voice of Dot Warner, so she rolled over to Animaniacs yeah. too. So uh, next up, and this is to me really the really breakout character of the show, Plucky Duck. Oh yeah, I love Plucky Duck. This hyperactive, uh, egocentric uh, little green duck. He's jealous, excitable, miserable, quite vengeful. And because of the fact he's lovable because of how, you know, how inanely wacky he is and because of how tragic and kind of all those tragic flaws and shit. Well, you know what's funny when you you kind of bring it back around, right? Because you you see some of that in Daffy and then ultimately you go back to the first real animated duck, right? You got to go all the way back to Donald. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that made him such a popular character... Uh, and it's actually it's kind of one of the funny things is like if you watch because obviously like the Walt Disney Company is primarily a company that was built on licensing mm-hmm. like that's what got everything so they started out licensing a ton of Mickey Mouse products they still do right yeah well at a certain point that started to wane and that was around the same time that Donald Duck came out and yeah. at least according to a lot of the stuff I've read and seen yeah. Donald Duck was out selling him for a little bit and it's because everybody like when you have the good guy hero right so in this in the in the Warner's world it's Bugs Bunny yeah when you have that good guy hero like there's a certain segment of the people that like him everybody kind of gets that but there's something about being able to kind of connect with that frustrated duck Yes. Whether it's Donald or Daffy yeah. Yeah. or, or Plucky, uh, Plucky yeah. where you're ending up constantly frustrated. Everything yeah. you do doesn't work out. Yep. And rather than just having that good guy, oh, shucks, I'm going to go with it, you have a real visceral human <laughs> reaction of wanting to either get even, yeah. curse everybody a blue streak, or just sit there and be mad about well, I'm it. I'm the best dude on here. Like, you know, pretty much Plucky is driven by yeah. blind ambition. He, you know, he wants to be famous. He wants to be powerful. He wants to be... You know, like wealthy and all that good stuff. But he's got the realest human emotions. Yeah, he tends to get in his own way. Yeah. And he, he usually falls victim to his own schemes. And like I said, he's always got an angle, always trying to get a dodge out of anybody. He, and he always he always trying to take advantage of somebody. He's definitely his own worst enemy. Yes, he is. <laughs> and like I said, his because of the fact he's a duck, his mentor and his pretty much uh, role model is Plucky, is Daffy Duck. Yeah. So yeah, so now, um, like I said, why like, Plucky is considered the breakout of the show because in fact he actually got his own show. Yep. Off of this spun off the Plucky Duck show in '92, and basically what it was just basically a rehash of all his stuff on uh, Tiny Toons. They just did a whole thing of just Plucky. He was he was one of uh, one of two spin off shows actually. Exactly. Yeah, we'll get to the other one a little bit later. Uh, all right, and, I'll say. Yeah, and one <laughs> aspect of that character that I do love, Baby Plucky. Oh yeah. Whenever they did the baby, baby Plucky episode, so they would do like these skits where they would do a look back at Plucky when he was a little toddler, and you'd be, be Plucky in a diaper, and basically just a little, little kid, you know, talking in baby talk, wearing nothing but a diaper, and he like whenever somebody would say something to him like, "Yes sir," <laughs> yeah, you know, be sucking his thumb like, uh, "Hey Plucky, get down there, yes sir," yeah. <laughs> So, and in that way, he actually was definitely kind of exhibiting the uh, the Daffy Duck speech impediment. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like just a little kid getting into little mischievous adventures. Oh, yeah. And, like, and then everything, he would always try to put stuff down the hole. Yeah. And then later, go down the hole. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I don't even, yeah. I can't even tell you how many times I drove my sister nuts with that one. And then later, go down the hole. Toot, toot, go down the hole. <laughs> Elevator, go up the hole. My favorite one was um, <laughs> when he did miniature golf. Oh, he called it Minister Golf. He <laughs> <laughs> meant his dad. <laughs> and he was he kept cheating. He was like, look, daddy, it's blimp. 
You <laughs> <laughs> cheat. Yeah. Or another, look, daddy, rocket sip. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. And then, like, uh, the actual the voice of Baby Plucky was uh, Nathan Ruger, the hmm. son of the producer, Tom Ruger. And he also was the voice of Skippy Squirrel on Animaniacs. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah. So he grew up and he became Skippy Squirrel. <laughs> good thing for Nathan Ruger. Yeah, good for him. Next character, Montana Max. Mm. I love me some Monty. He's basically Danny this, Cooksey. That's right. He's basically the series' main antagonist. He's the main villain. He's basically this spoiled rich kid, always bullying everybody. More realistic <laughs> what Richie Rich would be. <clears throat> More real, very realistic what Richie Rich would be. And he would always throw these little temper tantrums. He had a nasty personality, short temper, and he always used his money to like pretty much belittle or intimidate all these different people around him. Also, he ran like different companies that were like uh, were like heavily polluting, and they would like uh, make stupid things like elevating buttons or donut holes. Yeah, like it'd be like the littlest thing for all this pollution, all this waste, and he make just like a little eleva- tiny stupid for thing. elevator button. <laughs> That's all it was for. Yeah, and like um, because of his attitude, he's the perfect foil for Bu- Buster and Bass, particularly Buster, because of the whole dichotomy of him. It'd be like a, pretty much like a, a thing of like a younger version of Buzz versus your Sam and Sam. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And because of that, uh, Monty's mentor and teacher is your Sam and Sam. Mm-hmm. And same thing. They both named, you know, had the whole like Western name, your Sam and Sam, Montana Max. And like just like you mentioned, Danny Cooksey is the voice of Montana Max. Now, me personally, uh, a lot of people know uh, Danny Cooksey from Terminator 2 because he was John Connor's friend. Yep. The redhead kid that was riding with John Connor, uh, hanging out with John Connor in Terminator 2 is Danny Cooksey. He is also on a show called Salute Your Shorts. Remember on Nickelodeon? Oh, yeah. Buttonick. Yeah. Bobby Buttonick. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that he was, was a great show. He was also the main villain on that show, too. Bobby yep. Buttonick. Yeah. And like I said, well, hey, if you're if you're good at being a villain, stick yeah. with it. Make yeah. some money. And he was the only cast member that was not an adult, and they basically cast him because he had this tremendous mean voice for such a little kid. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think he does like a lot of like band. He, I think he's in like a bunch of bands now. You know like, what? If you got paid, you yeah. can do it. Do it. Yeah. So good for him, man. Yeah. Uh, Hampton J. Pig, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sweet little character, a uh, little pig. Uh, I was wearing like, them blue overalls and stuff. Of course, his mentor is Porky Pig. And Hampton also differed a lot from his mentor because of the fact, like, actually they had a switch with Porky and Hampton. You know how Porky had, like, a shirt and no pants? Yeah. And and Hampton has no shirt and overalls. Yeah. So they switched that up. And also, Hampton does not have a stutter. He's a very clear-speaking little pig. Yeah, no, he's, he's articulate. Yeah, he's he's pretty much the sweetest character on the show. He's sweet. He's gullible. You know, he's like very optimistic, naive, naively optimistic, if you can say that. If, if there's a, uh, uh, you know, because you talk about comedy or classic comedy, if there's a straight character, like yes. a straight man character. Yeah, that's that's him. That's yeah, him. That's basically his role on the show. He's yeah. the straight man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, more often than not, he's usually because of the fact he's so naive, he's usually taken advantage of, particularly by Plucky, who's his best friend. <laughs> so Plucky's always trying to do get some shit out of him, man. And uh, like I said, he's such a little worry wart too. Like he's always like you know shy, has very low self esteem, always and, afraid. But he has those moments where he'll get mean or he'll get brave, and you know just like you, you root for him. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. He's also a neat freak too for a pig, which is like because you always see him like cleaning and, and even in the intro he's doing a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. So he's a neat freak. But and, that goes to like the mm-hmm. the great like foresight, and we'll get into this a little bit more as far mm-hmm. as 
what they were thinking in terms of the character development, the overall setup. Yeah. Because you, you have, like I said, we'll get to like some of the rules and different things they set out, but putting yeah. that into the opener, yeah. like we talked about a million times, setting the table, Yeah. those little things right there tell you so much about the character and you're learning without even realizing that they're, they're basically setting up, here's who these people are and how they'll behave. That's right, yeah. And uh, Hampton's voice actor was Don Messick, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And, yeah, the row. <laughs> and this is actually Don's uh, last major role before he passed away in, in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next character, Dizzy Devil. <laughs> A little, little purple Tasmanian devil character. He always had the little beanie with the propeller on top of it. And he also has what they call uh, heratochromia because he has one uh, pink eye and one, um, one uh, green eye. And, of course, his teacher is Taz. Yeah. Taz. <laughs> and Dizzy were my two favorite Looney Tunes growing up. <laughs> the thing about it is, actually, Dizzy is more coherent in terms of speaking than Oh, 100%. Tass. Yeah, that's going to be a test. Rabbit surprise, you know. When he had his own cartoon, Tasmania, that's how. <laughs> come to Tasmania, come to Dude, Tasmania. Dude, I had that. I had that Tasmanian Sega game. Did oh. you ever play that game? Mm-mm. Dude, that was so ridiculous. Funny enough, I had the Tiny Toons video game, but I did not have the Tasmania one. But by the time I got that, everybody else was on like N sixty four, and I was like Sega Genesis, yeah. <laughs> we were poor. What can I say? Now, uh, Dizzy, just like Taz, will travel around a little miniature tornado, basically destroying everything in his path. But, like, how they characterized Dizzy on the show, Dizzy was the party animal. Oh, yeah. Dizzy was the one who was, like, of course, he had this crazy appetite, so he could eat anything. He eating like, you know, furniture and stuff like that. He you know, eat. if we're going to look yeah. at it through, like, a, like, an animal house kind of a thing, he was Bluto. He was definitely Bluto. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he was Which all, was great. Always looking for a party. And then the thing about it is, there's certain episodes where they would try to hide the party from Dizzy. He would show up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, he also, but the main reason why they hid it because of the fact he's, like, uh, they did one episode where he was the guest that you know, wouldn't leave. Yeah. Party's over. He's still there. Oh, yeah. They still want to party, too. He's a party animal. Exactly. I think, no, it was the odd couple. It was the odd couple episode. It was him and Hampton, because Hampton's super neat. Oh, super yeah, clean. yeah, and he's he, the opposite. He's a super slob and stayed over and all that good stuff. It was a really good episode. And uh, also, weirdly enough, uh, Dizzy was a babe magnet. Because you see the couple episodes, he has these uh, human girlfriends, all like supermodel types, and they love him for his wild personality. Now, this is a fun fact right here. Dizzy was actually voiced by Le- Maurice LaMarche, the voice of the brain, <laughs> Pinky in the Brain. Yes. <laughs> so that was Dizzy Devil. <laughs> I always love Brain, man, which oh, is a yeah. really good Orson Welles impression. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Elmira Duff. <laughs> I love Elmira. I hated Elmira. I love Elmira, man. Oh, she was horrible. Hippity hops. <laughs> She's the worst. Yeah, but like she's, she's that spoiled little brat girl. Yeah, but she was one of the few human characters on the show, and she and and also kind of a dark character because if you look oh. at her, if you look at her like little bow that she has, it's the skull of a, a skull of a gerbil in it. Oh yeah, yeah, and they just, they were pretty much insinuating that uh, they were insinuating that she was Lenny. Yeah, she she was just constantly <laughs> she didn't know her own strength, and she was constantly crushing these poor animals to death. Now her name and her get down is basically a derivative of Elmer Fudd. Elmira, female version of Elmer, and her last name, Duff, is actually Fudd, spelled backwards. Wait, so. hold on. There was something, yeah. uh, I think it was actually, um, from what I remember seeing, mm-hmm. um, Ruger said that the name uh, specifically came from a neighbor, a neighbor's child. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Elmira Lamb. Yeah, Elmira Duff's first name was came. Yeah, exactly, came yeah. from that neighbor. Yeah, but then like same time, it's, it is a female version of Elmer. Either way, I um, guess because yeah. we always talk about how slow and dumpy. But Elmer Fudd is. But Amara is even slower. Amara <laughs> was so damn dumb. It was ridiculous. But she basically was just like obsessed with cute things and animals. Obsession to the point where she would cause great discomfort and serious injury to many of her animals that she had. Like you see her with her animals in her house and they in the slings and shit. <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, damn, it's that's, what I, that's what I said. It's Lenny. And she's just so happy. Like, oh my, look at all my little animals and stuff. Yeah. And then, then have her pop up and surprise sometimes. She'd yeah. look like she's like a little jaguar or something in the corner and then pull her mask off. Yeah. 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 And then that's, that's her similarity to Elmer. Like Elmer hunted for sport. She hunted basically to love them. Yeah. And literally, she hunted, she loved them, and she would literally baby them to death. Yeah. She would actually, she would. She was more successful at injuring and killing animals than Elmer Fudd ever was. Exactly. She basically has no real... Accidentally. <laughs> yeah, she really, she has no real <laughs> sense of, like, pet care. Yeah. At all. And she always constantly called things, like, super cute names. Like, she would refer to, like, Babs and Bunny as hippity hops. Yeah. Call Plucky Mr. Quack Quack and <laughs> all that good stuff. And one thing I love about Elmira, voiced by Cree Summer. Really? Freddie from uh, A Different World was yeah. the voice of Elmira. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and she's all, and yeah, uh, Cree Summer been doing voice acting forever. She was Penny on uh, Inspector Gadget. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's Penny on Inspector Gadget and a bunch of other characters. Like, usually if there's a cartoon and there's a black cha- black girl character on it, it's usually voiced by Cree Summer. She was Susie on uh, Rugrats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can hear it. You can hear it very distinctly. Now, in the show, they indicate that she has a huge crush on Montana Max. And you see in a couple episodes them going on dates. And one episode, Max actually reciprocates. Because I think it's like they're doing like a love connection episode. And his choice was Elmira. He thought it was going to be trash. But she come out looking bad. Like she switched it on. Mm-hmm. She switched it up on him, man. She came out looking bad. And he actually had a great time. And then at the end of the night, she kissed him and kissed him to the point where he was like, oh, okay. That's what's up. <laughs> and they got had a little, and then they would indicate that uh, Max had a little, little thing on the down low. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, Elma, Elmira, since we talked about breakout characters, she's the second breakout character of the show. Yeah. Because of fact, she actually appeared on the successor series Animaniacs in a couple episodes. The first one was uh, called a Look at the Fuzzy Heads, where she, <laughs> it turns out she's also a patient of Dr. Scratch's <laughs> <laughs> And she ends up going after the Warner kids. Oh, yeah. And they're afraid of her, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, everyone should be afraid of her. Yeah. And there's another episode called Hard Day Warners where they did the whole Hard Day's Night BS yeah. thing. And when they're being chased by fans, you can see very clearly Elmira is one of the fans that's chasing oh, yeah. them. Uh, and uh, also, um, they did another one, the Warner 65th anniversary special. You know how they did like the specials where like celebrities would wish other celebrities, hey, happy birthday or happy yeah. anniversary. And Myra was wishing an anniversary to the Warners. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Just since we're talking about the Animaniacs, Animaniac side, she actually was in the original spinoff for Pinky and Elmira and the Brain. That's right. Which was the second big spinoff that you have to give credit to uh, Tiny Toons for. Pinky, Elmira, in the brain, 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 brain. Actually, it's a three-way. Actually, that show is a three-way spinoff. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, of course, like Elmira came from Tiny Toons, Pinky and the Brain came from Animaniacs, and now they're together. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. and she had that crossover because she was in Animaniacs. That's right. So it's it's really it's kind of unique. Yeah. Uh, Shirley the Loon. This white female duck, or specifically a loon, which apparently is a kind of duck. 
I never heard of it. But a loon. I never was a duck hunter. I don't know that much about it. Me either. Them. But she would wear this little pink shirt and had a little pink bow, and she had blonde hair. And she would talk in a valley girl accent. Like, like she would do like a lot of likes and like, like tell it to the max. And she did a lot of <laughs> stuff like that. Now, Shirley is one of the few characters on the show that actually was not inspired by an existing Looney Tunes character at all. And her name actually came from Shirley MacLaine, Academy Award winning actress and New Age aficionado. So that's where they got it from. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And also, her name is meant to be a pun on Shirley MacLaine, so they would call her, you know, Shirley McClune or Shirley the Loon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not mocking you. Yeah, no, we're not mocking you at all. <laughs> but she was a clairvoyant. She had, like, great psychic powers, and she was into, uh, like, the thing about it, she was very intelligent, but that obscured it. Her, the thick-ass Valley Girl accent always obscured it. And she was into stuff like, you know, ESP, telekinesis, astrology, crystals, tarot cards, tea leaves, uh, palm reading. She did, like, tarot cards and readings for one episode. I remember that. And levitation and incarnate, reincarnation and stuff like that. One little bit they would have of her is like, they would have her, like, meditating. She would be, like, floating off the ground. And then somebody would be, like, messing with her or trying to piss off while she's levitating. And then her aura would come out of her body and beat the shit out of the person. <laughs> <laughs> and it go back in her body, serene. <laughs> and another thing she would do is, like, when she was, like, chanting, she would do, like, oh, what a loon I am. Oh, what a loon I am. <laughs> And uh, Shirley was voiced by uh, Gail Mathias. She was okay. she was on actually on SNL that ill fated that ill fated yeah. first season the, the first season that Eddie Murphy was on. Yeah. She was one of the people that got cut. Well, you know she she continued on and had a good career. Yeah, she was actually the voice of uh, Bobby's uh, sister on Bobby's World you and know, the mom. You know, I've got to say, like the longer I've been around this kind of stuff, because yeah. you know, we've talked about it a million times. Like when I was a kid, like I was like you, I did a little bit of acting and that kind of thing, and. Mm-hmm. Where I'm at now, the only kind of acting that I'm really even remotely interested in would be voice, voice acting. Because yeah. it's it's nice. It's a lot of fun. It's a different way of working. By mm-hmm. the time you go in to do it, everything's pretty set up. You can kind of mm-hmm. set a more nine to five kind of a thing. Yeah. And nobody ever knows what the hell you look like. That's, that's, that, that's actually the point I was about to get to. The, I, anonym, I mean, the like, anonymity of voice acting. Because like the thing for you, mm-hmm. as you're working and you're going and you're moving forward, yeah. at a certain point when it jumps off... Yeah. Man, that's going to be a pain in the ass going around places with you. I know. Because of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which I'm okay with. I'm yeah. fine with that. But I like the idea, like, if for me, if I, like I said, if I ever even think about doing anything yeah. like that, I like the idea of, well, we know who the hell you are. I mean, like, unless you, even even the directing side and mm-hmm. the, that kind of stuff that we mm-hmm. always work on and talk about. Yeah. Nobody knows except for Spielberg and, I mean, I guess, what, you, you've got to throw in, uh, obviously, Scorsese and... Um, George, George Lucas. People know George Lucas. George Lucas and, yeah. well, and I was going to say, shit, why is it flying out? Tarantino. Yeah. Nobody really knows what any of the directors Literally look like. like yeah. I mean, like, even when we're going through and we're doing a deep dive on, like, John Landis, we're talking about Landis or Ramis. Yeah. Ramis, people know because he was actually in, in Ghost, some stuff, in too. Ghostbusters, yeah. But most of the other guys that are big-time actors, or, or directors, directors, rather, nobody knows. Yeah. Like, I mean, if Fred Savage had never been uh, a TV star as a kid mm-hmm. now, because he's, like, the TV directing guru, yeah. we'd know who the hell that is. Him and uh, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's honestly, I think, for quality of life, that's where it's at if you can do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like you said, like you're getting great money and nobody knows who you are. You can, exactly. live, your fucking, you can live your fucking life. And, probably, you're a- and you're acting. Probably the single best example I can think of is anyone who's had anything to do with The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Right? Because right now, especially, they, got, they, got they get paid they and paid bank, and paid. 
and nobody knows who the hell they are. Like uh, at some point, like I think it was like they were getting like at least a half million an episode. They they actually had budget cuts, but now now they're down to like three hundred thousand an episode. Oh no! Yeah, right. Oh no! <laughs> oh my my weeping heart. And they want and it's like um, why don't they just quit? Like would you fucking quit that? A nine to five that's not even every week. It's three hundred thousand an episode. Let me point that out. An episode. How many episodes of the fucking Simpsons there are? And then, oh. the, and then let's not talk about you know the the, the fucking residuals. Yeah, I mean that's oh that's where you get paid again, and again. Like literally, mm-hmm. everyone who's on the Simpsons right now mm-hmm. could quit. They'll mm-hmm. never have to worry about getting getting paid or taking care of their family for the rest of their lives. For the rest of their fucking lives, man. And their kids, and you know what? As long as their grandkids ain't idiots, they're good too. Exactly, it's crazy. Yeah, but going back to the thing here now, um, well, Shirley. The notable thing about her is that they always, they always have her being romantically pursued by either Plucky or Foulmouth, the character you were talking about. <laughs> but it's an indication that she's actually more in favor of Plucky because of the fact Plucky is closer to Bugs and Buster and Babs. That's right. Yeah. I was watching the one where they go to the movies. Yes. That was the one where Foulmouth was, yes, yes. was talking shit to the fat person. Yeah. Like, what, you got your own area code? Uh, yeah, that's what it was. Yep. <laughs> it sounded like damn Bill Burr. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sweetie and Furball. Mm. Now, real quick about those. Sweetie is a little pink canary, uh, very, uh, very short little thing. Basically, uh, early, she basically she's reminiscent of early Tweety. Yeah, kind of pink and kind of mean. And actually, uh, one thing I looked up, they actually vo- uh, based her voice on you know the comedian uh, Judy Tenuta. Uh, she wore like flower dresses and she had an accordion. Yes. Yeah, they based her voice on her because she would be like. Oh, like, I could see that. She had like kind of like a little trilly little voice. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she would go into like the screech when she gets excited. So that's what that's, that's what right. I base, that's what I based the voice on, man. And of course, I'm in towards Tweety, and she would always like be eating like little worms, and she would always refer to him as a tiny little morsel. <laughs> <laughs> By the sadder one of the two will be Furball, who was mm. this little blue cat who was always homeless. And he was always living like in some box somewhere, or occasionally he would be uh, Amira's pet. But yeah, he was like that. Doesn't work out well. Yeah, he was a sympathetic character. He didn't talk at all. Uh, well, he, well, there were a couple episodes where he was he was talking, but he was like playing a character or something, some shit like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, he was pretty much he's pathos. He's he's the tramp. He's Charlie yep. Chaplin's tramp. He's the one that you know, little scared, little scared, little cat. But he would be fright, brave when he needed to be. But the thing that will make him unsympathetic is the fact he spent a lot of his time trying to eat sweetie. Yeah. So. And, uh, Just like uh, Sylvester. Exactly. And she actually, Sweetie is actually one of the few characters outside of the main people like uh, Buster and Baz and Plucky and Hampton to get her own show. They had a whole episode oh, dedicated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a whole episode dedicated to just Sweetie. And her, she was voiced by Candy Milo. And uh, like I said, Furball wasn't really, he, didn't, he barely talked, but when he did talk, he was voiced by Frank Welker. Oh, yeah. The Welkinator, baby. Oh, yes. Unstoppable Frank Welker. Oh, yeah, this is another one I love Arnold the Pitbull. <laughs> Pitbulls get such a bad rap. This giant uh, Pitbull bodyguard, uh, bodybuilder type dude, like he always wore sunglasses. Again, another one of those characters not based on a Looney Tunes character. Uh, he was always the center of attention. He had like he actually owned the gym, Arnold's Pump You Up Gym. The motto: We pump you up and spit you out. <laughs> and he was always like a, a, some kind of well, authority. You yeah. have to have that addition, otherwise yeah. you're gonna get sued by SNL. Exactly. He always had some kind of like. Uh, he was also some authority figure. He was either a lifeguard or he was a zookeeper or he was a bouncer security guard. A lot of times he did that for Montana Max. And uh, also he had this, you know, 
thick, you know, uh, Austrian accent. Well, uh, thick European accent would be most specifically. And the voice of Arnold, Rob Paulson, another one of those hardcore voice acting legends. His name was Robert Paulson. Rob Paulson. That's right. <laughs> and, of course, he based on Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, he also, at one episode, he actually had a girlfriend, uh, Arnolda. <laughs> and actually, in one episode, he mentions that Arnold, is, he's from Romania, which explains his accent. He's ah, Romanian. Okay. So. And your favorite, Foulmouth. Oh, yes. Little Rooster character. <laughs> now, Foulmouth's get down was he's supposed to be based on uh, Foghorn Leghorn, but instead of being a Southerner, he got this thick New York accent. And he, which he, sometimes sounds a little more Boston to me. Yeah, and, but he which thing, is why I get Bill Burr. But his get down is he would cuss up a storm. <laughs> 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 like there's one episode he just cussing it's up so much beeping. Like, <laughs> like some of the stuff he even makes say it was making sense. See, it's yeah. moments like this that make me say like again I wasn't trying to take anything away from the Simpsons, but it was moments like that mm-hmm. that made me give them the credit for pushing the adult animation. Yeah. Because you can't even come close to arguing without getting in trouble with every parent group in the country. Mm-hmm. That is for anyone except for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Because if you start saying that it's for 13-year-olds, people are going to lose their fucking minds. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, like they, they had one episode where he was basically cussing, but then they cured him. And from then on, he would do like dad blame and dad gum, whatever he was trying to do to cuss and stuff. And yeah. that's and that's yeah. when you know that somebody got a note from the censors. You, you dad blame excuse for a dad blame actress. <laughs> <laughs> and since you want you want to talk about the voice, Rob Paulson again was foul mouth. Yeah, right. so you dad blame excuse for a dad blame actress. <laughs> Beefy La Fume. Oh, yes. The little girl skunk of the character. Of course, based on uh, Pepe Le Pew, she had this huge tail, and she, of course, it was the source of her odor. And she would always use a tail for different things, like a pillow, she uses a pom-pom, she uses a baseball bat. It's usually like a snare to get like a guy or whatever. And the thing about it is, she's, very, she's a very sympathetic character because she's obviously a pretty girl, but she's a skunk and she stinks. Do you know what her perfume of choice was? Uh, depression. No, less stink. Oh, yeah, the stink. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Depression. Depre- no, actually, I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she, she Dude, actually... Hold on. We should, we should market a perfume and call it depression. depression. I'm down. I'm so down. That could be one of our sponsors. That's going to be one of our sponsors. Depression. Depression for men. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out, yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, she actually lived in like this little pink Cadillac in a junkyard. And like I said, very, very sweet, very flirtatious. But because of how much she stinks, yeah, she would never get the guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was only one time. I think there's only one guy of the cast that she was interested in, and it was a uh, Hampton. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, so Hampton got Fifi. Of course, he was clean. Yeah, he was clean. She wasn't, but he was. He was. Well, but that was the thing. I mean, yeah. right? Because half of her problems always the stink and everything else. Mm-hmm. It would make sense that she'd want to go with the cleanest character because mm-hmm. you know it's going to make it easier for her. All right, the last one in terms of the characters I'm getting to, Go Go Dodo. Oh yes, little Dodo. He was this little Dodo character. Go Go is the only character on Tiny Toons that's actually a direct relative. They, mm-hmm. they basically established that he's the son of the original Dodo from the Looney Tunes cartoon Porky and Wacky Land. Now, yeah. Wacky Land. Yes. Do you know when that first appeared? Yeah, 1938. 1938, yep. Mm-hmm. And a Looney Tunes short. Yep. That was actually called Porky and Wacky Land. I just said that. Oh, sorry. I literally just said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, paying attention. I literally just said I was that. reading my notes. 
<laughs> but Porky. Well, would fine. Eat. As long as we're talking about places, where's Acme? Huh? Acme. Where's that located? I'm not going through that again right I now. Can give, I can give you that right now. It'll take two seconds. This is why I have notes. Mm-hmm. They actually said it was in uh, season one, episode four. Mm-hmm. It's called Never Too Late to Tune. Yeah. They actually finally say where Acme's located. It's located in Arkansas. Arkansas? Yeah, down in the south. The south will rise. Well, I, that's, I, was, I would consider Arkansas more Midwest than South, but that's just me. <laughs> that's just because you're a purist being from Alabama? Apparently. Yeah, oh. but yeah, that's what I'm well, saying. I mean, yeah. no, no accounting yeah. for being yeah. a fan of Auburn. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not going to go in there with you. Let's go to Wacky Land. Okay, okay let's Wack, go back okay, to Wacky Land. Wacky Land was actually a part of uh, Acme Acres, and it, it basically like its own little dimension. It was very yeah. weird and surreal, and they would have like eyeballs and like a lot of... Uh, Picasso style faces and well, zany stuff. Some of it I'd say is probably even a little more towards like Salvador Dali. Yeah, very weird stuff. Yeah. And it basically it was a, the entrance of it was this bridge on the outskirts of town and you go to Wacky Land and shit. It was like you go to Wacky Land and it was like this uh it was actually like the uh the intro, the Tiny Toons intro. Yep. It would be the hole and you go in there and then next thing you know you're in Wacky Land. Now attention now in addition to being a student at Acme University, Gogo was also the hall monitor and he was also the cuckoo clock. He was like, cuckoo, cuckoo. If you're late for class, you're cuckoo, cuckoo. And he was also the empire in a lot of like uh, a lot of the games they would have. And again, was by Frank Welker. The Welkinator. He gets a while, he gets around, man. The Welkinator is a guy, man. And yeah. oh yeah, okay, one more, one more character. Uh, Calam- well, two more characters: Calamity, Coyote, and Little Beeper. Yeah. Now Calamity, you got to. Yeah, I got to talk about Calamity. Now Calamity Coyote was a gray little coyote. He had like pink high tops. And of course, his main mission was catching little beepers, similar to Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Now, the difference is, uh, Wiley was actually, I'm oh, sorry, Ky- Calamity was a tech genius. He was always like a little genius building like these machines and good stuff like that. Thing about it is, like Wiley, a lot of stuff would blow up in his face. And of course, his his query was little beeper, this little version of the the Roadrunner. And uh, he would do instead of like doing the meet meet like the Roadrunner, he would do beep beep. Like, hence his name. <laughs> And, of course, he was the fastest kid in school and, you know, a natural athlete, et cetera, et cetera, like the Flash and shit like that. But, yeah, go, go, uh, yeah, Calamity and Little Beeper, man. I love those characters. Now, let's go ahead and go into some notable episodes and skits. Now, the first one I talked Sorry, about. Sorry, half a second because I, I went back through my notes. There was one that I missed because we were talking before about where Acme Acres. Oh, this was also This was also from Never Too Late to Tune. Mm-hmm. They do say that that's actually located in Missouri in that episode. Missouri. Missouri, of all places. Acres, which is which is about a thousand miles from Fort Lauderdale, so it works. Either way, it's like still Midwest. <laughs> yeah, but but what's ridiculous though with with Acme Acres and everything is that even though it's supposedly located in Missouri, it's quite clearly Burbank. Yeah. <laughs> Without question. Yeah. Now the first episode I want to talk about is the very first episode that aired, the Looney Beginning. Now, mm-hmm. it was not the first episode produced, but it's basically the origin story for the show. And uh, it basically presented it as this cartoonist being pampered by his boss. We're like, come in with a new cartoon by tomorrow morning. And in a fever pitch, he comes up with the, the Looney Tunes character, the, the Tiny Tunes characters. And um, actually, the, the first episode actually premiered as a standalone special on CBS in September of 1990. Uh, and a lot of the elements of that particular episode reminded a lot of people of that Duck and Muck episode where the animator was, like, fucking with Daffy Duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of stuff like that. And uh, and also the original name from Buster for Acme Acres was Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, Green Acres. Uh, taken. Oh, 
What about Acme Acres? Oh, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> they went with Acme Acres. Uh, and then, like I said, this, these are episodes and skits that I'm talking about here. Another one I really liked was uh, Win, Lose, or Kablooey. But they did like win, lose, or draw. It was Plucky, Montana Max, fantastic. And, yeah, Plucky, Montana Max, and Babs playing on this game show. Win, loser, win, loser, Kablooey. And then you can tell who was gonna win because they did it at the beginning. Like, like you either can win over Babs, lose Mon- over Monty, or Kablooey for Plucky. <laughs> and the whole episode is just constantly fucking with Plucky. And um, at one point, uh, Buster's in the audience and like. Talks Babs into like uh, like manipulating the show, so he becomes the host, and Babs becomes his assistant, Vanna Pink, a parody of Vanna White, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and also this episode marks the first appearance of Blink Winkleman, which is a ancillary character they would use as like a talk for the ancillary talk, uh, game show host, and it was voiced by Rob Paulson. He was, Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Blink Winkleman, of course, his name is a uh, parody of uh, Wink Martindale. Well, what's ridiculous yeah. with this episode, or with yeah. this segment specifically, is mm-hmm. the kablooey, right? So it starts out, like you said, you have um, Plucky, you got Montana Max, and yeah. you got Babs up there. Yeah. And as soon as they say the name of it, mm-hmm. poor Plucky gets blown up. Yes. And sent back to the audience. It's basically like, you know, you're, you're it's a trivia show. Yeah. And when Babs loses, all that happens is they dump spaghetti on her. Yeah, and the other thing is, Monty's, of course, cheating. He's yeah, he's, he's, paid, he's paid the guy off. Yeah, yeah he's like, uh, what's the... Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, what's the uh, f- first president of uh, Namibia? Oh, yeah. Namibia doesn't. Well, no, have, yeah. no, but before that, yes, yeah. wh- who was the first president? And Babs answers George Washington. Then she gets hammered with the meatballs. That's absolutely. But he sees the money. He's like, wrong. You didn't let me finish the question. <laughs> uh, who's the first president of uh, Namibia? That's what he yeah, that's yeah, what he and then <laughs> I think you've got you got uh, Buster sitting in the audience like. Namibia doesn't, doesn't even have, have a president. president. He's looking There's up, something fishy here. He's looking, he's looking up a book of African history, <laughs> and the is like, how can you tell? <laughs> I love that one, man. Okay, uh, next skit, the Buster Bunny Bunch. It was actually a whole episode, but mm. the whole get down was they were doing the Mickey Mouse Club, but with Buster. Like, B-U-S-T-E-R-B-U-N-N-Y. And it's really good. A really good parody of the Mickey Mouse Club. What's great about most of these episodes mm-hmm. is that they basically took the old concept of animated shorts mm-hmm. and they just do a conglomeration where each episode was like three or four shorts together. Yeah. And they call that an episode. So it wasn't really the same through line, so yeah. it kind of put everything mm-hmm. in shorter sequences. I like the ending. Our time is up. We've got to go. We hope you enjoyed our funny show. B-U-S-T-R. Don't forget to eat your carrots. <laughs> B-U-N-N-Y. Why? Why not? <laughs> the Buster Bunny Bunch. He was a big thing of Buster. It was really funny. <laughs> but uh, the main skit of that particular episode. Take that, Mouse. Yeah, the main skit of that episode had uh, Babs doing her impressions. She went on impressions galore, but then she started doing her friends. And it basically pointing out their more unfavorable ter- characteristics. characteristics. To the point where they all got pissed off and started doing impressions <laughs> of her, and yeah, she went and then she's like, "Okay, I'll, I'll chill out." I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all right, I'm sorry. I, I, I pushed it too far. I'm sorry. And then another good uh, uh, segment that we just talked about, the Anvil Chorus. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Anvil Chorus is basically like one of these like big operatic uh, things. But it was one of the first instances where they used music and stuff to illustrate the episode. And Plucky was complaining throughout the whole show. They're like, hey, I, I, I should get a better part of the show. I should get a better part of the show. Like, you know what? We got one for you. Really? Yeah. You're the, you're the star of the next one. 
So he, we go to this big orchestra hall. The, uh, there's a group of Elmiros from different nations. They all look like her, different ethnicities and stuff. <laughs> and then, like, uh, we're going to start the anvil chorus now. And this, the anvil chorus, for those of you know, is a classical piece of music where it's like, and while that's happening, the, um, the, all the Elmiros are getting flattened by anvils. And yeah. Plucky gets keep, keep getting hit by anvils. And every, he's trying to run away, but it's like, nah, man, you can't go. You're the star. This, you're the <laughs> this, star. Is your, this is your segment. Boom. So he just kept getting hit by anvils over and over again. And I remember the end of that one, they did the, the uh, uh, Burns and Allen thing. You know, oh, yeah. Like, Buster's like, say goodnight, Babs. Goodnight, Babs. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Tom Ruger has gone on record as saying the anvil chorus is his all time favorite Tiny Toon segment. For obvious reasons, it's, is that is that your favorite? It's very funny. It's not my absolute favorite, but it is very. It's up there. It's like it's on the list. What's your favorite? Absolute favorite. The one I'm actually about to talk about right now, Cinemaniacs. Okay. That whole episode basically had Bugs and uh, I'm sorry, Buster and Babs going to the theater, and you know going to see these different movies. All the time, the whole time they're being chased by Montana Maxwell Usher and trying <laughs> to stop them from theater hopping. <laughs> so they're just going from movie to movie, and each movie they would go to would be Tiny Toons doing a parody of a popular movie. The first one was Super Babs, when they did <laughs> Superman the movie. Yeah, and it was a really good one, too. Like she was like protecting the world from truth, justice, and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. And her villain in that episode was uh, Montana Max as Wex Wuther. <laughs> <laughs> and his whole plan was he basically the same thing. They, 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 they did the duck muck thing where he spilled ink on the animation cell, and it was like this giant blob was swallowing up at the anchors, and Super Babs had to save him. Now, at one point, they do a Joan Rivers thing where, like, um, she does an impression of Joan Rivers and Vice Wes Wuther on her show. He explains the plot, and he exposes her weakness carrot cake. So he just she's feeding her I, carrot cakes. I, I get it. That's my weakness. Yeah, she's he, he's feeding her carrot cake till she gets <laughs> super big, and she has to lose weight really quick. So she gets this little, little pocket um, video of uh, Jane Bunda, which is also bad. <laughs> Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, do that real quick. And actually, at one point, she's dancing to the song uh, "I Dig Rock and Roll Music" by Peter Paul and Mary. <laughs> I, I dig rock and roll music in the rock and roll chance today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really funny, man. And then and the, I love the ending, like what is like a the super black super bad flies off, and then is like Buster, Plucky, and Hampton sitting there and thinking about like who, I wonder who she is. All right, that shouldn't that shouldn't be too hard. He's like, so who do we know named Super? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good little ending. The next one, uh, Duck Trek, oh, Star yes. Trek, and he's like uh, <laughs> space. The big parking garage. <laughs> These are the voyages of the starship Acme. Our six-minute mission <laughs> to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no duck has ever gone before. <laughs> and the whole mission is it's supposed to be going to some planet to get a special like hair um, formula because the fact they because <laughs> the fact the, the plucky character he's playing uh, Captain Kirk he needs a new toupee. <laughs> Making fun of William Shatner oh, yeah. and his, his, you know, his wig. He's got a nice little quaff. Yeah, a nice little quaff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, they went in. And there's actually, there's another one of those uh, 
uh, one of those few episodes where they had uh, Furball talking. He was the doctor. He was McCoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Furball talked in this episode. And the main villain of it was, uh, you know, Gossamer, the red monster from the old Buzz Bunny cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the main villain. And then at one point, uh, I believe Hampton was Spock, and he, like, stressed that this planet like is like a living hair monster. And he actually stresses the, the planet out so much that all the hairs go gray. And then the, all the hairs disappear. The, the planet turns around to the camera and it's Telly Savala saying, Who loves you, baby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. And the last one, Pasadena Jones and the Secret of Life. <laughs> yeah, of Again, they, with the nod to Burbank. And a nod to Spielberg. Of course. A direct nod to Spielberg. Yeah. So it's basically Buzz Buster Bunny as Pasadena Jones. And then they do the whole thing where they do the little the little drawing of the map. Where it's like doing like the little red line going from place to place to place. Yeah. And Buster's actually riding the red line. <laughs> <laughs> and he also, every time he uses like his whip to do some like heroic stuff, he's like almost bored by it. He's like, ooh. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and the villain in that, again, is Max. And he's playing like Tote. The, the ball, oh, guy, yeah, yeah, the little yeah, ball yeah. guy with the glasses, <laughs> and they do like uh, one part where they actually meet, reach this, the secret of the temple of the secret of life, <laughs> and it's like I wonder where it is. And it's, step forward, step forward. We got tickets to the temple of the secret of life. Huh. That was yeah, easy. That was super easy. And then they do all the booby traps. So they do the giant. You know, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. They do the giant uh, ball. They do the giant ball gag, but it's an eight ball. And then they do the mind chase and all the good set pieces from the Indiana Jones movies. It's really cool. And then you couldn't find out that the and then the golden chest was supposed to be the Ark of the Covenant. They open it up, and this voice was like, "Do you want to know the secret of life?" <laughs> like, yes, yes. Well, it's us, and it's all his friends. <laughs> hey, what you guys? Like, yeah, we're your friends. Friends are the secret of life, and he looks at the cameras like, "Next time, I'm going after some gold." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a really good segment. Actually, notable thing about this: this is actually the first episode where Danny Cooksey, um, actually, his voice was actually higher than normal in this episode. Hmm. Uh, this is this episode was actually recorded before he hit puberty, <laughs> so that's why his voice is higher in this episode than it is in most other episodes. Uh, next up, Gangbusters. Oh, yes. The whole episode itself is really good. Like, basically, the whole gist is Buster is framed for slushy theft by Montana Max and his gang. Yeah, it's like a musical gang, too. So, like, it's really, it's really funny. But the beginning and the ending of it is basically a parody of Dragnet. And they even do the dum-de-dum-dum on, on the actual shield. Yeah. The dum-de-dum-dum. And then uh, Bu- Buster and Babs are doing Joe Friday impressions. First name, my name, Bunny. Her name, Bunny. No relation. And then going to the story, um, eventually uh, Buster gets sent to jail. Plucky was his lawyer and ends up going to jail with him. They do a whole little get down. Where actually, there's one segment where they actually uh, sneak out of jail and actually uh, <laughs> they end up in like the, all these different like places or whatever. The first one is like they, they end up in the Paris of the Car- Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. And you see like the pirates and then the, you see like the machines are like the nuts and bolts are flying everywhere with the machines and all raggedy and shit. He was like, yeah, I'm not going here. And then they go to another one, and they go into, like, the fucking, uh, what's that shit from uh, from Indiana Jones, the Well of Souls with all the snakes. Yeah. And you see Indiana Jones like, like oh, my God, there's a snake on your head. Oh, my God, there's a snake on your head. Ah, snakes everywhere. And you see Indiana Jones with a girl. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> and then the last one they go to is the Batcave. And he's like, but he does a reference to Batman in the movie. And you see Batman coming up. Oh, great. 
first that blonde now these guys. Oh, jeez, <laughs> oh, Alfred. Why don't you just draw a map to it? <laughs> and then they're like, see, see if I stand in line for your sequel. <laughs> and then finally he busts out. He makes a deal to crash the bad guy so he can get out of prison. And they do a great rap sequence. 90s kids rap. Yeah, I was going to say, that's... Um, Very 90s kids rap, but it was pretty dope sequence, Great's though. a big word. Yeah, I, I liked it. I loved it, man. Like, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's very clearly white folks trying to rap in the 90s. So Best white folks trying to rap, if you've never seen it, look on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd. Dragnet. Dragnet yeah. rap. <laughs> oh, dragnet. that's great. But it's basically like that. You're just like trying to rap and shit. Uh, but there's actually one point during the whole rap sequence where the... Uh, Monty gets trapped in this place uh, for these guys called the Fat Guys, a parody mm-hmm. of the Fat Boys. So there's actually one reference to actual hip-hop in it. And then uh, throughout the whole episode, Hampton is trying to fucking uh, get his groove on, too. But Hampton's so lame that he's, like, doing, like, all these different uh, musical styles from, like, years before. So he's doing, like, the Charleston. And then, and <laughs> he's then, basically doing his, his best uh, Frank Sinatra. And doing disco. Disco Inferno is him in the fucking John Travolta outfit. <laughs> it's really funny, but it's a really good episode. Um, Citizen Max, really good episode. The whole episode is a spoof of Citizen Kane. Yep, it's a really good spoof of Citizen Kane. So instead of the whole Rosebud, it's Monty doing acne. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for the most part, the whole episode is basically just an origin story for Montana Max. Yeah, yeah, this fictionalized origin story. So it's pretty good. Uh, oh, this is probably, I think overall, probably the best episode. Hollywood Plucky. That is pretty solid. It's so damn good. So the whole get of it is Plucky and Hampton and Buster and Babs are all trying to ho- travel to Hollywood to sell their screenplays. <laughs> Plucky has one, and so do Buster and Babs. So Plucky tricks Buster and Babs and sends them out in the middle of the fucking desert <laughs> while Hampton actually make it to Hollywood. And then the crazy part about it is, you know, the whole, they, the whole building up the whole fantasy of Hollywood. And then they get off of Hollywood and Vine and they see real Hollywood. It's like dirty and there's a bunch of street punks and shit. Like, oh, so this is Hollywood, huh? <laughs> that's, yes, that's Hollywood. That is the illusion that most people have when they come to Hollywood. They think it's like, oh, oh yeah, it's going to be movie stars and all this other shit. They come off and it's like just dirty and nasty and a bunch of homeless people. And shit. It, it's like in uh, Bowfinger when Heather Graham gets off the bus. Everyone's like, where do I go to be a movie star? star? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works at all. But she worked it very quickly. Oh, yeah, well. She she worked what she had. That was prior to Me Too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, throughout the whole episode, Plucky actually gets there first and he's trying to meet with this superstar director, Cooper DeVille. <laughs> and, and Cooper DeVille, the look of Cooper DeVille is actually uh, a caricature of uh, Tom Ruger himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's one point they do an Entertainment Tonight parody, which is great. And it's like, uh, hi, I'm Mary Vane and I'm John Face. And this is Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> and they did a really good thing on uh, Entertainment Tonight. Um, and, I actually, and then the thing that really makes this episode stand out is how many celebrities they encounter. Oh, yeah. Now, the first thing they do is they go to the Romans Chinese Theater and they do like the whole, there's a cement thing, ceremony. You, you can go see yeah. what people did their feet and handprints back in the day. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they have a ceremony for Indiana Jones. And of course, you know, Plucky interrupts it and, you know, gets fucked up or whatever. Now, the next segment, the second half of it, is when they go to the restaurant, Flavio's. Mm. That's when the shit really kicks in the gear. So they basically get tricked by this dude on fucking Hollywood Boulevard saying, hey, you, uh, you want me to meet up Cooper DeVille, huh? 
Well, like, yeah, I got this restaurant. There's going to be a lot of celebrities there. You know? And he treats Hampton and Plucky into becoming employees for this restaurant. So Plucky is the waiter, and uh, fucking Hampton's the valet. <laughs> so when they go in there, the first Real celebrity- Hollywood. Yeah, there's real Hollywood. So Ham- Plucky is thinking that this whole thing is a setup, that there's cameras everywhere, and he's actually acting. So I am, he, I am your waiter, so I shall wait. And he's going in there. He's meeting all the different celebrities. Now, the first one I loved, I loved it was a real deep cut when I first saw it. The first people he meet is Larry, Daryl, and Daryl from Newhart. <laughs> Hi, I'm Larry. It's my brother, Daryl. It's my other brother, Daryl. And the other last Daryl is actually Daryl Hannah from Splash. <laughs> the next celebrity I meet. Batman. The Batmobile comes up to the fucking restaurant. Hampton fucking parks the car or whatever. And of course, Hampton don't know what he's doing when he gets in the Batmobile. So he hits the ignition button and it turns into a goddamn rocket. He <laughs> starts flying all around the sky and shit. The best part about that bit is it goes to the moon and knocks out a fucking Batman symbol on the moon and flies away. But then right after that, little TM comes after the, <laughs> to yeah, the moon. Little trademark. Little trademark, yeah. But, you know, the, one of the reasons they're able to put so much Batman in it is because it's a Warner property. Yeah, and Batman had just come out, like I think, the year before the show actually aired. So yeah. it's still hot. Mm. Mm. Batman's always hot. Batman is always hot. But that particular movie was, like I think, the fifth highest grossing movie of all time at that point. Well, the important thing to remember, too, with Batman, we've talked about this a hundred times, is it's, it's really the second comic book themed film yeah. to hit Hollywood. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm lumping Superman and Superman 2 into the same. Basically, yeah. But it's it's the first one that really came out and proved that like no, no, there's really something to comic book yeah. based properties. But then the Superman thing kind of wore down so like what's the next guy? Batman. Mm-hmm. So I'll put it in Batman. Now, when he Batman gets in the restaurant, um, Plucky asks for his coat. He takes he unzips his shit. He's like super big and buff when he goes in there. He unzips his shit and little Michael Keaton steps out. <laughs> He's like, oh, another Hollywood illusion shattered. Accurate. <laughs> Very accurate. <laughs> now, uh, next thing after that, he like Plucky's here and it's like giant earthquake. What's going on? Then Mike Tyson busts through a wall. Oh, yeah. And he got a giant T-belt. Like, yo, oh, my God. And he doesn't say Mike Tyson. He's just, oh, my God, it's the champ. And he sits down. And he's like, uh, Mr. Champ, is there something I can get you tonight? I have to set a, I have the Santa Fe finger links, please. And Plucky's <laughs> like, I never figured on for a soprano. <laughs> <laughs> right after that, Cher comes up in a compact car. And a car, a car basically looks like an actual compact. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And she steps out, you know, she does the whole, hey, I got you, babe. <laughs> and then uh, Hampton's like fawning over. He's like, hey, snap out of it. The moonstruck shit from yeah. Uh, yeah, when she won the Oscar. And then after that, oh, another great bit, which I didn't catch on until I got older. Uh, Meryl Streep is in the restaurant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's ordering a goat cheese pizza. And then as soon as she leaves, and announces like, and now you just won the award for best entree ordering in a lead role and they give her an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. And, you see, and she opens up a bag. It's like a whole bunch of Oscars. She just hands, puts it in there with the rest of them. <laughs> that was a great bit. That was killer. And then Nicholson. They had Jack Nicholson in there. And he's like, we eat her. Get over here. You know? And he's like trying to order like a Caesar salad. So he's doing like the five easy pieces <laughs> bit with Plucky. Like, eh, Caesar salad. Is that going to be a problem for you? That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really good. And then after that, Roseanne Barr is like, waiter, waiter. <laughs> like, what's, what's, what's happening? Uh, this food is terrible. And it's such a small portion. She's surrounded by fucking food. <laughs> 
And then uh, David Letterman's there does a punchline for the punch. <laughs> <laughs> then Pee Wee Herman comes up in a bicycle. Hampton takes that. And I love this bit, too. The fucking cast of the original Star Trek beams down is Kirk, Spock, and Bones. And they all, the caricatures of them, they all look crazy, too. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Kirk hands on the keys. And Kansas looking for his car, and he just points up, and you see the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> he just faints. I'm like, I got to park that. <laughs> that was great. And then they're inside. They're trying to get a chicken. They give them a live chicken. They end up fucking blasting the shit <laughs> with their phasers. Uh, but, yeah, and then finally the next bit, the third act, they actually get to the studio and they actually get in. They're trying to get in. And actually, this introduced Ralph the fucking uh, Ralph the guard. He was oh, yeah. actually introducing Tiny Toons before he actually came on Animaniacs. Hmm. So, yeah. But his three attempts, Plucky's three attempts to get into the studio are great because he does the first one is Michael Jackson. <laughs> so he's like doing dancing, got the outfit and shit. He's trying to moonwalk past and he gets fucking caught. Then the next one was Rocky. So he's like doing the eggs and like, Adrian, <laughs> Adrian. Gets the shit knocked out of him. And the last one was Johnny Carson. Yeah. So it's like Hampton do it. Here's Johnny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Does a golf swing thing. And then, of course, it gets caught again. But finally, he finally gets to the guy, finally gets to Cooper DeVille. He does his big thing explaining, like, my, my screenplay has this, it has this, it has that. It's fantastic. And it ends in this gigantic musical number. Like, and, it, like, and he does it, and Cooper's like, you know, that's a great movie. You, you Really? You think so? Yeah. The problem is I'm already doing that. Yeah, except I'm calling it the Buster and Bass story. Yeah, see, <laughs> I, see, I found these two charismatic rabbits in the middle of the desert. Yeah, they're in the trailer right now. <laughs> so he did all that. And Again, real Hollywood. And, 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 but but, but <laughs> it's, it's a testament to Plucky. He did all that to get Buster and Babs out of the way and in doing so, ensure that they were actually... Exactly. <laughs> so it was a great, great episode, man. Another one since we're talking about... Oh, no, no. Actually, one before that. Fields of Honey. You, ever, you remember this episode? No, not off the top of my head. So the whole get down of Babs' character is that she's not really based off of any one, one particular character. So... She's constantly searching for a female mentor. Right. And she doesn't have one. So she goes to like an old film vault and finds Honey from the old Honey and Bosco cartoons from like okay. the 30s. And that becomes her mentor. And she's like, um, how, how come nobody knows about Honey or whatever? But then like the whole time she's like thinking about this character. And you're like, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> so it's a whole Field of dreams. Field of dreams. Yeah. It's a field of dreams okay. parody. So she builds a theater that shows the honey cartoons. People start coming in, you know, and then you see this old lady come in and she's like, Oh, that's great. You showing honey cartoons? Like, yeah. And then the more she sees the laughter and all that, she gets younger and younger and younger. You find out the old lady is honey. Yeah. And then there's this mysterious voice that keeps guiding Babs throughout the whole episode. The mysterious voice is Bosco. <laughs> so and then it ends with Bosco and Honey back together again. So it was, it was a really cute episode. Very, yeah, for very, sure. Very sweet. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't nearly as adult as the other ones. No, but it's the whole field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. That, was, that was great. Uh, Inside Plucky Duck. Well, they, this is I think this is the first. Oh well, no, no, I just saw Hollywood Plucky. But this is one of the first episodes where it's a whole episode with just Plucky. Yeah. And uh, the main real get down episode of this whole, the whole segment the best segment of the whole get down is uh, bats all folks. <laughs> the first introduction of Plucky as Bat Duck. Mm-hmm. And this is a direct parody of the 89 Batman movie. And it's really great. The best thing about it is, written by Paul Dini and, and Bruce Timm, right before they did Batman the Animated Series. They wrote this episode. That's killer. And, and, and you see all the Easter eggs, Batman Easter eggs they put into it. Like, yeah, these guys love Batman. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, 
And at one point, he's like sitting, he like you see like Batman going over. Like, well, Batman is it's a uh, plucky as millionaire Spruce Vane going <laughs> over his origin, talking about all the different things he did to become Bat Duck. And he's like, I have to come up. Criminals are a crim- uh, cowardly and superstitious lot. I must come up with a disguise to strike fear into their hearts. And then uh, he's looking at like different animals. He's like a uh, spider. No, that's taken. <laughs> And then uh, uh, Mutant Ninja Tortoise. <laughs> nah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so reference to Spider-Man and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then finally he gets hit. With, he finally gets uh, attacked by a bat. So he goes through the stage where he's trying to find his outfit. The first one is like him and like the, is like Batman in like the '70s with the big uh, blue outfit. And the underwear on the outside. Yeah, exactly. He's like ha ha, and then a criminal blows him off the thing. He's like you criminal scum. He falls down or whatever. The next <laughs> one he does fucking '66 Batman. So he's like he invested in like some uh, in like some words and shit like that or whatever. And then you see like all the bland, yeah, the bland pal, and he's yeah. like he's dressed like Adam yeah. West with the with the belly and shit. It was really <laughs> <laughs> it's great, man. And then the last one, he finally gets the actual. Oh no, no one before that, he actually does the Dark Knight Returns. So it's like oh, huge, that's right, yeah, so, I forgot. So, so it's like huge, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Batman, and then uh, criminal just pops uh, like a little thing on there and the face deflates, like, yeah. Great Easter egg in that episode that I didn't notice until like a couple days ago. If you look in the background of the graffiti of the of the Dark Knight portion, who watches the Watchmen? Oh shoot, I didn't even catch that. Who watches the Watchmen is in that fucking episode. This is like 1990. That's fantastic. Fucking dope, man. And then at one point he finally gets the uh, he finally gets the actual outfit down, and he's like, I'm Bat Duck, and here's my uh, sidekick. Decoy, the pig hostage. Easy, <laughs> <laughs> Ham- like I said, Hampton in the little outfit with the fucking bullseye on his chest. <laughs> and, Dude, that reminds me of uh, mm-hmm. this, this meme I saw going around from the uh, the 1990s animated series where Alfred's talking to to Batman. And he asks him, "Sir, why do you wear dark clothes?" He goes, "So I won't get shot." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. why does Robin wear bright colors? So, so I, I won't get, get shot. shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that, yeah. You know, I, mean, saying, I think he said the last time, too. Uh, but then, like, Alfred is Alfmira. Yeah. And complete idiot, of course. And of then course. The, the bat, they're like, in the, they're in the den, and the bat phone rings. And, like, are you going to answer that? Oh, yeah, sure. So you, she answers <laughs> it. Hi, this is, uh, hi, this is Bat Duck's phone, who is also secretly billionaire Bruce. Stop. <laughs> 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 and then uh, and they're like, hey, we have to go. Like it's uh it's the bad guys game, we gotta go. And then they leave and they try to do the whole, you know, Shakespeare bust going down the bat poles thing, but there's no bat poles and they fall straight down. <laughs> oh, by the way, I took the bat poles to be washed and then down in the costume <laughs> like, remind me to fire her. <laughs> and they finally get to the bad guys thing and then the whole get down of the re- the reveal is basically like um, you know the cartoon The Great Picky Bang Robbery, the Daffy yes. Duck one? So it's the same thing, like uh, the Jackster, which is a jackass, is, is uh, the Joker. The Puffin, uh, fucking... The Penguin. Actual Penguin smoking a cigar. Polecat Woman. And Question Mark, the Riddler. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, he does... They, they, him and Question Mark do the whole get down from, uh, from, uh, from actually Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they're like, uh, <laughs> how, do you, how, how can you tell if there's an elephant that's been in your bed, bat duck? African or Indian? I don't know. <laughs> but it's a, yeah, it's a really great episode. And then, of course, the wraparounds of that shit is that they're going through Plucky's body, so it's like Fantastic Voyage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Slugfest. This is a skit, and I love this one because, of fact, it introduces probably the best parody of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I've ever heard. Just the name is hilarious. 
immature radioactive samurai slugs. <laughs> <laughs> it is so dope. And then like it's Puck. It turns out it's Pucky's favorite show, and he's obsessed with it. And then like they actually have a theme song or whatever. Hold, I think I got the theme song. Yes, I do. We're immature radioactive samurai slugs. We love thrash criminals and slicing thigh slugs. We're totally radical, gnarly dudes. Cowabunga homeboys with nothing to lose. Our arch enemy wants us iodized, but he can't beat us because we're merchandised. And they're like, <laughs> destroy him! Count off! Picasso! Warhol! <laughs> yeah, Picasso! Warhol! Uh, Rockwell, Grandma Moses. <laughs> so back down, dweebs, it's the end of our run. The show's gonna start and it's time to slide. That's the thing song. <laughs> like, say, all the artists that I like named, it better when you sing in it. Yeah, all the artists that are named after, like, a pop yeah, artist, yeah, like yeah. Norman Rockwell and Pablo Picasso and, uh, what's the other one? Andy Warhol and Grandma Moses and shit. Like, uh, oh, this is a one-time skit that really, they only did one time. And I don't know why they only did it one time. Uh, Vinny, Venison Anyone and they had one character that only did one time Vinny Venison or Vinny the Deer and basically the whole get down is it's an old Elmer and Buzz cartoon but it's this new character on Montana Max just picture any old Bugs Bunny Elmer cartoon Elmer's hunting for rabbits etc in this case it's Monty hunting for deer Yep. and all the hijinks that ensue but Vinny is very clearly a black kid and you wonder why they only did it one time. Yeah, like, what the Not hell? to mention the fact we didn't get all the way into this, but there was a strict no guns policy. True, but he because, had a, because because when it came to like all the hijinks, right? You talk about like people want to get, especially if you can get into you know the the idea of children being watching it and being influenced, whatever. Mm-hmm. They specifically didn't want there to be anything causing any kind of harm or anything to anyone mm-hmm. that could be found in the home. Right, gotcha. Because they're trying to watch out for the kids on that side. So it, it would make sense for a one-off. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it's very clearly a black kid. And actually, the voice of Vinny was actually a dude named Brian Stokes Mitchell. Now, I didn't know who the fuck that was. But I, I, I looked him up, and his most famous role, Trevor from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Hillary's oh, no boyfriend. Shit. The one that got killed. Yeah, yeah. That's him. Man, that poor guy, he's got shitty luck. Hillary Banks! <laughs> Will you marry me? Boom! <laughs> On live television. <laughs> and the whole family's like... <laughs> this took a dark turn. No, but he's like, Will, I love Will. He's a, he has a long take. But he's like, you know, I'm not a bungee expert or anything. But something tells me you're not supposed to hit in the ground like that. <laughs> but it's that guy. He was the voice of Benny. And he actually had a little catchphrase at the end. Like, I may be a poor, pitiful, foolish creature, but mama didn't raise no fools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really good. Oh, yeah. Tiny Toons Music Television. Mm-hmm. This was a great episode. And the first of the many parodies they would do. And basically, it's Buster and Babs hosting basically their version of MTV. It's really good, too. And prior to TRL, so it was yeah. it was halfway decent. Yes, it was. <laughs> now, most of the videos they had were better by uh, They Might Be Giants. And that's how the first, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Istanbul, Istanbul was the first one, and it was basically plucky as a, a P.I. hunting down, like a statue of like, the Maltese Falcon. And the whole, Istanbul is Constantinople. Istanbul is Constantinople. A long time gone, Constantinople. Constantinople get the works. There's nobody business but the Turks. <laughs> yeah. Even on New York, was once New Amsterdam. Why they change it, I can't say. People just like it better that way. <laughs> that was a great song, man. And then the next one, Particle Man. <laughs> <laughs> 
love Particle Man. I love <laughs> no, this song. It's so stupid. But it's, again, Plucky is a pro wrestler going up against these different dudes. All the different dudes they describe in the song. Particle Man, Particle Man, doing a thing a particle can. What's he like? It's not important, Particle Man. Is he a duck or is he a speck? If he's underwater, does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows, Particle Man. <laughs> universe man, universe man, size of the entire universe man, usually kind, the smaller man, universe man. He got a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand, and an eon hand. And when they meet, it's a happy man, powerful man, universe man, but universe man fights particle man, particle man, particle man fights the universe man. They got to fight, universe wins, universe man. <laughs> So great, man. And then they do the, the rest of the um, videos they do are basically them lip syncing the popular songs. The first one is Babs doing Respect. Yeah. Uh, Aretha Franklin. And then if you look at, if you look at like, she's like going through different places, annoying people, like singing and shit. If you look at some of the caricatures, the caricatures are the writers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, throughout the whole thing. There's like a jury full of them. You get, like, uh, it's like some guys in the lab- library and then you see the guys in the jury box. Yeah, those are the writers. Next one, which is my favorite one of the two, uh, Montana Max doing uh, money. That's what I want by Barry Strong. <laughs> the best things in life are free. Dun, 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 dun. You can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. That one, yeah. yeah. He's killing it too. I love the very end where he does like James Brown. Yeah. Money. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, he doesn't go get that. He does the whole thing with the cape and everything. They, they, yeah, they did it great, man. Oh, yeah. The last one of that is a uh, one called Top Secret Apprentice. It's basically a. Uh, uh, Bugs is like in some secret apartment, secret compartment where he's like writing the script for Tiny Toons. And then Bugs leaves and Buster gets on the machine and starts doing like, you know, his little shit. It's basically a ripoff of the uh, the, Sorcerer, the Sorcerer's Apprentice from yeah. uh, Fantasia. So that was that. And then they actually have, uh, we talked about Julie Brown in a couple of podcasts before this. They actually have Julie Brown on the show, but she's Julie Bruin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that really cool. And, and then apparently Julie Brown is also the voice of Minerva Mink on Animaniacs. So she crossed over to Animaniacs. Another reason to be upset. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> next episode, here's Hampton. I like the, ep- the episode itself is okay, but the thing I like about it is they do like uh, interstitials throughout the whole thing where he's doing like different TV shows. And the TV shows he's doing is That Girl, The Fugitive, and The Dick Van Dyke Show. I was like, wow. The Fugitive one's the best one. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, so uh, K Acme TV, another great episode where Buzz, um, Buster and Bash take over uh, uh, K Acme TV's broadcasting, so they decided to put their parodies of different shows. The first one is Tinker Bunny's Wonderful World of Make Believe and Learning Fun. She's basically doing like Pee Wee's Playhouse and shit. Okay. So there's that one. Then the next one is uh, Plucky doing a commercial, Unlucky Worms. <laughs> it was basically a Lucky Charms commercial. This the Lucky Charms. Yes, Unlucky Worms, the magically disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Juparity, which is a funny little bit, where it's like Buster is is uh, Alex Trebek, and the contestants are Dizzy, Myra, and Calamity Coyote. Now, whenever they ask a question, Myra gets it wrong. Dizzy don't care because he's eating the podium. And Calamity's always getting it right, but he can't talk, and his button ain't working. <laughs> so that's the whole get down of it. And then Amira was so damn dumb. She's in there like, and the first question was, who's the first president of the United States? Boom, a bunny. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What is a bunny? <laughs> and she, every, her, her every answer is a bunny. And then finally, he, she's frustrating Buster like, like crazy. The final question is, this animal is associated with the holiday of Easter. And she's quiet. <laughs> so, you don't have anything to say, Amira? 
Nothing at all. And then she finally hits <laughs> Doom. Who is George Washington? <laughs> <laughs> Album was great. Uh, and then they do a parody. I, I love Dizzy. I love Lucy, obviously. But it's, it's, the, it's the famous bit from I Love Lucy, the conveyor belt bit. Yeah. But uh, it's Dizzy doing it, so there's that. This is the one I was talking about. Acme, Calvin Acme's Depression Cologne. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's Fifi LaFume, and she's the one in the commercial. So, like, she's around these models or whatever, and, like, just sticking them up a storm. Depression by Calvin Acme. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my favorite one of the bunch. Super Pluckio Brothers. Video game. <laughs> Still so, better than the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> follow, Pluck, follow Pluckio, Plucky, uh, and his brother Linguini as they, fu- as they travel through Fungal World to, to rescue uh, Princess Loon uh, from the Toadstool Tower. <laughs> and how to get the power up is they have this giant, like, duck called the, the giant Nyan-Nyan of power. Get it, and that's your power up. You turn into a giant and shit. And the thing about it is, it's notable, is they actually use the actual sound effects from Super Mario Brothers. All that shit is really good. Next one after that, Honey, I Shrunk the Clothes is a, just a trailer. But the thing about it at the end, you see this uh, like the little thing about all the credits and shit. And they actually the writers are just writing random shit in the credits. <laughs> if you stop, like, like if you stop this, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, <laughs> stop reading this. Yeah, it's really funny. They just do like a bunch of random shit in uh, Tune Court where. Uh, Calamity Coyote is suing Acme for negligence and faulty workmanship. <laughs> uh, the blunder years where Hampton is going over his childhood shit where he's a terrible baseball player. And the whole get down there is he's playing baseball. And every time you like somebody pitches a ball or throws a ball or uh, hits the ball, it always hits him in the head. <laughs> no matter where he's going. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then uh, Ralph the guard does a little brief where he's like, uh, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> Making fun of the Kelly LeBron Pantene oh, yeah. shampoo commercials back in the day. And, uh, oh, yeah, um, search for Big Butt. <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of the Bigfoot specials and shit. Was a giant, Which we still have. With, with, but he's a giant animal who's known for his giant ass. And then <laughs> at the very end, I love it, you see the giant ass in the bush, and Amara's going to hug it, but then she realized what it is, she's like, Never mind. <laughs> walks away. <laughs> like the only time she ever walks away from any creature. Yeah. All right, another direct sequel to that episode, uh, Acme Cable TV, which is basically Buster and Babs catch the Taiwan flu and have to watch uh, uh, K Acme TV from the house the whole from the house the whole time, and then switching channels, going to different skits. The first one is a uh, Babsy and Bugs Winkle show. <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle where they're actually uh, flying on a missile into the Bay of Pigs which is actually a Bay of Actual Pigs <laughs> <laughs> so great and then they talk about and then the whole time they're riding on this missile they're talking about all these outdated 60s references and shit <laughs> it's great uh, Fruit Loops uh, they do a Foot Loops commercial where it's like uh, yeah yeah uh, Shirley's like looking for some cereal and like uh, Gogo Dodo gets him some cereal made from his foot <laughs> like, new, new with bunions, calluses, and new toenails. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Follow your toes. Oh yeah, they do do a, they do a Walt Disney parody. Um, a Walt Disney uh, a Walt Disney classic called the the cat who thought he was a hammerhead shark, and it's basically making fun of an actual thing that Walt Disney did. The hound that thought he was a raccoon. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that. Flassie, where it's like uh, Lassie can talk, but uh, her own, the owner can, the owner is Amira. <laughs> the story of Montana Max, where it's like basically this possum doing the whole thing about Montana Max getting broken shit. And then, like, they're doing the Beverly Hillbillies. And then, like, like what what happens, he ends up uh, going to Possum River, to make sure, 
you know, ends up going to uh, Possum River and shit, and like, hey, he's down here in the swamp with us, carnivores, marsupials, inbred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really, and it's Rob Paulson doing the, the "Let's Do Story" by Montana Max. Yeah, uh, Toonie Wood Squares, Hollywood Squares, but with the Tiny Toons characters, and the contestants are Monty and uh, Elmira, and they got the Blink Winkleman guy back again. But he's actually against Max in this one. Uh, and then actually, he mentions. <laughs> I love this bit. They mentioned Max as being president of the Saddam Hussein fan club. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Again, for the adults. Yeah. And the winner of the shit gets a, a all expense paid trip, a private plane, and eight hundred million dollars cash. The loser gets a is a trip to heck or hell. <laughs> so, so that's a. Uh, they do a Grossanne, they do a Roseanne parody with Buster and Babs as uh, Roseanne and uh, Dan, basically. And then at the end, um, Bro- Grossanne gets knocked out and she starts doing, Oh, say, can you say? <laughs> for, for anyone who's too young and doesn't know, Roseanne Barr most oh, famously butchered all- the national anthem at a baseball, at a baseball game. game. <laughs> and she's explained it a hundred times if she's explained it once she says look everybody knows and again we also have to preface this with mm-hmm. the woman has a documented case of mental illness mm-hmm. she has pointed out multiple times in fact when I was a kid and I'd moved to Utah down in Provo is the state mental hospital and when we were there people would explain it like oh that's where Roseanne Barr was actually committed when she was a kid because oh, she'd been, she'd had this horrible accident where she got hit by a car. Cause she used to be like a straight A student, yeah. brilliant with mathematics and everything. She gets hit by a car, and then now we know Roseanne, the comedian, oh, with all the craziness. And oh, she had a time in there. So, in her defense, is the only thing I'm gonna say to her defense to this one. Mm-hmm. What did you expect when you asked her to sing the national anthem? You know, True. it's not Whitney Houston. No, not at all. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was gonna be a disaster. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the last bit on the show was the Gogglesby show. The Cosby <laughs> Show. So Gogo is uh, Cliff Huxtable, and the whole family looks like Godo. Go uh, Gogo Dodo. There's a Theo. There's a Claire, and then uh, the uh, one point Dad is basically Frank Wilker doing a Bill, a Bill Cosby impression. Dad, Dad, I gotta go on my date. Dad, well, what's happening there, Theo? My man, you know, <laughs> have a pudding pop. He just keeps his <laughs> only solution. To everything is giving everybody pudding pops, and then him and Claire say, "Don't eat that pudding pop. You don't know what's in there." <laughs> Knowing what we know now. <laughs> Family guy. The Cosby show. Knowing what we know now. Knowing what we, <laughs> we know, know now. now. <laughs> but yeah. Our childhood gets so dark. Yeah. But uh Gogo's like him and Claire talking about how the kids grow up. He's like, Yeah, you know, that's right. Uh but you know what the problem is? We need more kids. And he's like, Hello, central casting. <laughs> I need a new daughter. And the funny part about it is Central Casting, for those of you who don't know, is a, pretty much the thing for extras. The, w- one of the main things for extras here in Hollywood, I'm actually a member of Central, Central Casting. Yeah, if they get to a point, like a, a good example would be something like um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. So when they're doing the, the last Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. they'd send out a call and say, okay, we need uh, you know 60 people to show up this day, this time. In fact, there was a guy that I was roommates with for about two months, yeah. and he was, uh, you know, I have to say he was a wannabe rock star who even though he was like almost 50 years old and it hadn't happened for him he's still hanging on to that dream and he was telling me about how they went out because they they liked him he looked like he looked like he was still trying to somehow shape or form become the next uh, Axl Rose right and which is perfect 
for you know well, playing. For, mov- for movies and stuff, yeah. Well, specifically for something like Pirates of the Caribbean, so they yeah. say we want somebody who looks like this, and you know your casting director may or may not look through the book. If not them, yeah. then somebody from Central Casting is going to be like, all right, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, mm-hmm. and then they just send it out. You show up, you get paid for the day, you go yeah. home. But then, but then, like he's called Central Casting. A little girl drops in through a chimney. He's like, hey, and this is the camera's like, hey, got to keep this thing going because my movie career is in the dumpster. <laughs> Very meta. I think I think probably for me, and this is, I'll be honest, a lot of it's because Tom Akewitz was a writer, but his best feature film, mm. Mother, Jugs, and Speed. Yeah, with Bill Cosby. Yep. Hmm. Well, I'm more partial to Superman in the movie, but that's just me. But it's not about him. True. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay, I'll give you that. See, and yeah, he, yeah. Plays, he plays Mother in Mother, Jugs, and Speed. Yeah. And it's about him. True. That's true. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, so next episode, Con Ducky. <laughs> that was a great episode. It, it was great because the episode is basically the make a movie that Plucky Duck made, and then the next rest, the, the, like the second half of the episode, is basically the making of Con Ducky, which is really great for, for them to do. So the actual Con Ducky concept is based on the movie Con Tiki by Thor Heyerdahl's nineteen forty seven voyage, uh, and then at one point when they're like uh, they're like waiting for. Uh, wind to pick up the like sailboat or whatever. So basically, what he get, his get down is that he's gonna find this uh, place, the Salinas or whatever, and he's gonna do it using uh, items from the seventies that pretty much comprises boats. So like uh, pocket fishermen's and pet rods right. and shit like that. And uh, while he's waiting to get like air for like for their sail or whatever, all these different parodies of like uh, of, like sailor stuff keeps popping by. Like like one point. Like Gilligan, the skipper passed by. <laughs> Another point, there was like uh, Captain Bly from the Mutant of the Bounty pops up. The shark from Jaws pops up, and then the last one is a uh, is a uh, Kirk Douglas from Twenty Thousand Leagues on the Sea. <laughs> he's on the boat. He's like these cameos make me want to puke. They're <laughs> <laughs> still waiting for air. <laughs> and then at one point they do like a bunch of eight track tapes. So they have like Peter Frampton comes alive, the Bee Gees, and ABBA. And like I said they put it in. And I, uh, Hannah's like, you know they're all divorced now. I didn't know they were married. <laughs> it's a great bit, man. And like I said, the last last part of that is the most famous part because it has the famous mango juice oh, yeah. part of it. So uh, <laughs> Plucky is explaining <laughs> the making of the movie. And the whole time, like, another gag they have is, like, they keep spelling his name on his chair. Yeah. So it's like Plucky Doug. <laughs> Plunky Dunk Stuff like that And uh, he's like Trying to be this like Malevolent guy But he's also a dick And then But the most famous thing He has his stunt Doug Which is Hampton Also Hampton <laughs> He dress up, dresses him up Like him And he has him sit down Like this chair Is like Okay so you sit down In this chair And you say Ah Mango juice That's <laughs> it So Take one Ah Mango juice Boom A mask falls on him <laughs> Not fruit Juice Mango juice Let's do it again Ah, mango drink. Bah, juice! Mango juice! Ah, and the boy gets hit, boy, he's like out of his mind. Ah, mango liquid refreshment. <laughs> Again, bah. I'll take Charlie Weaver to block. <laughs> it's, it's, so, uh, it's basically it's basically the cartoon version of these pretzels are making me thirsty. Or the uh, the, sh- the more accurate one would be like uh, from the old Looney Tunes thing, the Robin Hood shit. Oh Yoinks. yeah 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 Yoinks. yeah yeah. And away, pop. Yoinks. And away, pop. Yoinks. <laughs> and away, pop. <laughs> that shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that one. Man, that's just too. That's just still funny today. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yoinks. 
And away. <laughs> the more his voice just gets more fucked up. Okay, next episode. Uh, 13 something. Ooh, this was an interesting This one. is a really good one. So they're basically doing a parody of the show back in the day, 30-something, mm-hmm. which is a very popular show. And also making fun of a lot of the teen soap operas of that same time because the characters on there look like the kids from 90210. <laughs> so the whole get down is Buster and Babs are watching this show. Babs' choice is the show 13-something. It's our favorite show. But um, Babs is like, I want to be on that show. And Buster's like, no, you can't do it. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. So she goes to decide, she decides to go audition for thirteen something. The problem is they don't use tunes; they use humans. Yep. So she decides to dress herself up as a human and changes her name. <laughs> I love the name. It is very. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a very goddamn actress name, Babs Bunawalski Oversmith. <laughs> 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 you know something that was kind of messed up in this one? What? D- just as a quick aside. Yeah. They purposefully gave Babs more cleavage. Yeah, they did. And this one so that she wouldn't be overshadowed by all the human characters. That is true. That is very true. And, then, and, then, and the, the, the general joke with her is like everybody's looking at her like, you're beautiful. I should really suggest waxing, sweetie. Because <laughs> she's a rabbit. So. Well, the other thing, again, talking with like nods to other stuff, there's that split screen, split screen conversation mm-hmm. between her and Buster. Oh, yeah. Which Spielberg actually said they did to kind of you know, do as a wink and a nod or to evoke the sense of when Harry met Sally. Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, another thing that really uh, they, they evoke in this particular episode, Tootsie. This yeah. whole episode is basically a, a, a parody of Tootsie, where like uh, same thing, the actor can't get a role in the part, so he decides to dress up as somebody else and becomes super popular. They even do the whole montage of the magazine covers, one of which was uh, uh, her and Jean Shallot, <laughs> which they did in Tootsie. Um, and uh, also at one point they do an Entertainment Tonight segment. They have Mary Heartless, and she's like, "My voice causes seizures." So, so apparently, <laughs> apparently, I didn't know about this. Apparently, there was an incident where Mary Hart's voice caused a seizure in an epileptic woman in 1991. Yep. Oh my god. They they even kind of slightly make reference to it in mm-hmm. uh, in Seinfeld too. Yeah. Remember yeah. Kramer. I, Kramer's having seizures every time. I can't remember who it was. If somebody comes on. Yeah. Uh, That's like the Today up. Show. Or That's fucked up. Man. <laughs> my voice causes seizures. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and then the, when they do the montage of the stills from New York. It's a direct parody of the uh, Woody Allen movie, Manhattan. The, the other thing that's crazy with the New York mm-hmm. section of this film mm-hmm. was when they have when they have David Letterman screaming out of the window that oh, he's yeah, not uh, wearing pants. It's, it's a 30 Rock. It's a yeah. 30 Rock in Fellow Center. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and then, Which like, apparently like, is based on something that really happened. Oh, God. And then uh, there's another <laughs> segment where after they do the whole phone call thing, where he's like, I'm like Sonny. The bus is like, I'm like Sonny without Cher. I probably become the mayor of Palm Springs, which is what Sonny Bono actually did. <laughs> so. Later on, congressman and mm-hmm. not great skier. Yes, not great skier. Respect. That's messed up. You put, you put that in there, that's messed up. I said respect. Like that voice. That's still fucked up to say. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you're right, you're right. Oh yeah, yeah. Was, was the shit from Was the shit from uh, Talladega Nights? But he's like, yeah, like no. Dis- oh, what, uh, oh, with all due respect, and I mean with all, all due, due respect. respect. <laughs> that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale no, and, and a dolphin, dolphin getting, getting it on. on. <laughs> I say with all due respect. <laughs> yeah. It's in the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Look it up. Oh my god. Uh, another great skit prior to the. Uh, 
DC Animated Universe, the Just Us League of Super Tunes. Mm-hmm. So basically they have a class where like all the different Looney, uh, Tiny Toons characters become members of the Justice League. And basically throughout each of them, uh, Buster becomes Superman, uh, Bash becomes Wonder Woman, Plucky is obviously Bat Duck, uh, Hampton is still Decoy the Pig Hostage, Robin the Boy Wonder. Uh, let's see, there's a couple other ones here. There we go. All right. So Shirley the Loon becomes Hawk Loon, Hawk Girl. Little Beeper is Little Dasher, the Flash. Uh, Byron Bassett, which is another ancillary character that we use. He never did anything. He just, like, would sit there and sleep. Uh, but he was Aquaman. He should have been Hawkman. Yeah, he, but he was, you know, he was Aquaman. <laughs> Aquaman. Same thing. Sweetie was Pink Canary, Black Canary. Calamity Coyote was Keen Arrow, Green Arrow. And Fifi LaFume was Zentana. Uh, basically, this character, Zatana, was like a magic character. Yeah. So, um, next one, The Return of Backed Up. Hmm. And funny thing about this is this is the premiere episode of the Plucky Duck show. This is the I think this is the only original skit that they have for that show. And the rest of them were just like rehashes old Plucky episodes. Now, this was actually a primetime special by itself in 92, and it actually was a tie-in to um, Batman Returns when it just came out. That's it. Now, throughout the whole episode, uh, Plucky's obviously trying to get a part in Batman Returns. He's, like, bugging the hell out of Tim Burton, like, pretending <laughs> to be his, like, different creations. At one point, they do the whole bit where he's trying to get in the studio again with him and Ralph the guard, but he's doing all the different Tim Burton characters. At one point, he's, like, uh, he's like Edward Scissorhands, and then he becomes Beetlejuice, and then, like, and he finally gets in, and he busts the shit out of Tim Burton, and he tortures Tim Burton by bringing up all of Tim's old cartoons that he used to draw, <laughs> like all these weird ass cartoons that Tim Burton used to do. Yeah. He's like, okay, 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 I'll give, I'll give, I'll give. <laughs> and then he finally gets on screen test. At one point, uh, they're plucky and uh, Hampton are through the studio. You see Danny DeVito dressed as the penguin and Dustin Hoffman dressed as Captain Hook arguing about who's shorter. <laughs> Which I hope to God happened at some point in real no, life. No, because apparently Dustin Hoffman was one of the choices for uh, the Penguin. So yeah, they did way better with Danny DeVito. Oh, this is the real deep cut that I love here. They do Sean Young pretending to be Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> so they deliver Sean Young. And she's like in the. Okay, so if all... <laughs> so for those of you who don't know about the incident, actress Sean Young. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Actress Sean Young was actually the original voice, the original choice, excuse me, for Vicky Vale in the 89 <laughs> Batman movie. But uh, she decided to go horseback riding for some reason, oh. and she got injured. As a result, her last minute replacement was Kim Basinger. And, of course, that movie Bassinger? shot... Yeah. Stop. Of course, that movie shot Kim Basinger to untold levels of fame and fortune, and Sean Young got nothing. So by the time Batman Returns came around, she decided, you know what, I'm going to try it again, and I'm going to go for the gusto. So she decided to make her own impromptu Catwoman outfit. She pretty much ambushed Tim Burton and Michael Keaton in her office and did an impromptu audition, and the whole thing scared them so much that they called security on her. <laughs> and escorted her off, uh, escorted off the lot. And then what happened was, I think the exact thing she did was, she arrived on the uh, Warner Brothers set in the, in the, in the um, outfit. She used other people on um, on the site that she knew scouting the grounds, and they used like walkie talkies to communicate so that you know what I'm saying. Hey, she could show up. Yeah, exactly. She could sneak in, which is crazy. And actually, the original choice for a Catwoman was actually Annette Bening, and she had to bow. Yeah. She she had to bow because she got knocked up by Warren Beatty. So 
Um, and then right after that, Michelle Pfeiffer got hired. But then the whole the next thing she did, she actually appeared on the Joan Rivers show in that same Catwoman costume, denouncing the movie and denouncing Tim Burton. <laughs> so, how'd that work out for you? Not great at all. Not great at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and uh, I think I got one or two more episodes. All right, next episode is uh, Tales from the Crypt, Tunes from the Crypt, excuse me. Again, uh, Joe Casser, Buster Bunny as the Crypt Keeper, both characters he does, and introducing the different like levels of uh, different scary cartoons. Um, the cartoons themselves were okay. Um, the first one was one called Wait Till Your Father Gets Even. Basically has Hampton losing his dad's uh, bottle cap collection to Plucky. Uh, wasn't really that scary. Uh, next one was Concord the Friendly Condor, which is basically a take on Casper the Friendly Ghost. Where like yeah. Conc- they had oh yeah another character Concord Condor who was based on Beaky Buzzard. I think Beaky Buzzard was way funnier. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, think he's out of here. You know, if you ever watch any of the old Beaky Buzzard cartoons, like his mother like always urging him to go get out of here, squirrel. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's a big goober. Yeah, very much. But uh, Concord is basically like this friendly uh, condor. His brothers, like the three ghosts and Casper, are like urging him to do bad things, but he won't do it. So that's pretty much all just of that one. The last one, which is actually kind of surreal and kind of kind of dark in this little way, Night of the Living Pets, mm. where like all the ki- all the pets that Almira killed come, come back, back. <laughs> <laughs> and start to attack her, but. Then they remember why they got killed by Almira because she starts doing the whole, oh, you little fuzzy heads, you need a bath. And they're like zombies and shit. Like, you know, <laughs> she's like scrubbing them like there's all the skeleton left. It's, and then they really realize why they got killed by her in the first place and they all go away, go yeah, away in fear. They, yeah, I'll try to find some kind of solace in death. And then the fucked up part about it is at the beginning of the skit, you see Almira going through like a little scrapbook of all the pets that died. Oh, poor Flicker. You see her on a horse, broke his back. <laughs> like, uh, oh, uh, Goldie, fish, fishy Goldie. You see her overfeeding the fish like crazy. Like, it's like, wow. No. <laughs> uh, the next one is actually uh, one called uh, Tune TV, which is a sequel to the music television one. They do another music. This, except this time, the difference between those two episodes, the first one was just them hosting the show. The second one is an actual countdown. Mm. That's yeah. So it's them, and actually Babs introduced herself as Downtown Babsy Brown, making fun of Downtown Julie Brown, the old, oh, yeah. the old MTV VJ. And then uh, it's supposed to be a top ten countdown, but numbers nine, three, and two are never announced. So just like just going through the numbers, number ten is uh it's in his kiss. You know, does he love me? I wanna. <laughs> it's Babs doing that shit, and it's really good. And then I like, should have done. Hmm. I wanna party all the time. Party all, all the time. time. Party all the time. Cause they, but they do like classic songs. But but during the whole get down, the whole video, she's like trying to ask Bud a Buster to the Sadie Hawkins Day dance. And he, he didn't say yes yet, so she's, like, pleading her case. And during the whole time, the video, she's, like, doing, like, different romantic scenes from different movies. So it's, like, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, King Kong, Superman, the movie. Yeah. The Little Mermaid, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> uh, and then the next one, number eight, is Video Game Blues, which is, like, more or less a classical kind of get-down. It's basically, like, the kids, particularly Foul Mouth and Plucky, like, uh playing this like uh, video game and like, they're getting sucked into it or whatever but the music in the background is like the dance of the sugar plum fairy and like and then that's one and then they do the rush yeah, and then they do the Russian dance from the Nutcracker yeah. that one so that's basically that one 
Uh, oh, yeah, this is one that's really funny and deep cut, too. Nothing Comes Close to Yule by <laughs> Skinhead O'Connell. Is, <laughs> is, is Shirley oh, Deloon. Is, is Shirley Deloon and Sinead O'Connor, her head is shaved, and she's sitting there like, nothing comes close, like, nothing comes close to you. And there's a giant picture of Yule Burner from The King and I. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. And then, oh, yeah, and this is another great one, The Name Game. They do like a little space episode was like the the whole gang fighting like a Darth Vader type and Elmira is singing the name game like you know, Tony Tony Baboni Banana Fana Fofoni Me Ma Maoni Tony but then the interesting note the one name that it kept out of it for obvious reasons Plucky mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna do the version of the let's, name let's game hear it. let's hear it Plucky Plucky Bobucky Banana Fana Fofucky Me Ma Mucky. Plucky. I can't imagine why they would cut that out. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, they, they used the bleep for flat, foul mouth once before. They could use it again. Tony, Tony, Boboni, Banana, Fana, for <laughs> That was a great one. But I love the end. She's like doing like, uh, Myra's like doing riffs. She's like, ooh, hey, all sookie sookie now. <laughs> that would get me. Like, really? <laughs> Ah, looking, Oh yeah, this is another great one. Uh, number four is uh, "Do You Love Me" by the Contours, like Buster singing it to Babs. Do you love me? Do you love me? He's like nah. screaming in her ear. Yeah, and at one point he does like an MC Hammer dance, which is great. Like, watch me now. <laughs> He's killing it though. Like, this is great. And in the song after that, this is, which is number one, is "Yakety Yak" by the Coasters. They got the papers and the trash. Is plucking his dad. His dad's like telling him to do all these chores and shit. But every time they do the yakety yak, they do like these like random snippy like yaks. Yeah. <laughs> they like, get yakety yak and they just pop up. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes sense. Jim mm-hmm. Smith and Bob Camp were both on this. Oh, yeah. That's right. we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah I get, I get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, another skit I love Ruffled Ruffy. Mm. Now they're based, they're making fun of that, that children singer Raffy from like mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. So it's, it's Ruffy, but it's uh, it's Rob Paulson singing. <laughs> so he's like singing this. And, and the whole get down is basically making fun of it. It's an old Buzz Bunny cartoon where he does the same thing with an opera singer. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. He's, yeah. Like, he's like, it's basically Buster. He's sitting there enjoying himself like Bugs in that cartoon, sitting there singing, enjoying himself. And uh, the guy's doing this concert for these kids, but like Buster keeps interrupting them. He goes at a, he's a dick, obviously, and Buster decides to retaliate. So he comes there dressed as a little kid and he starts messing with his songs I love his songs though it's like let's sing let's sing all is nice all is good and we are acting as we should let's sing let's sing and then another one is body oh yeah uh, baby monkey song where he's like uh, I'm gonna sing a song where only I know the lyrics but Buster changes it the baby monkey, he's a little and sweet. Baby monkey who crossed the street. He looked to the left and he looked to the right. And when the traffic was done, he stepped off a curb, got hit by a bus, and knocked the kingdom come. And the kids start crying. <laughs> 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 so yeah. And then the body song, which is like, uh, he's, he's him singing. Like, but uh, the whole thing is Buster's supposed to keep the tempo. He's like mm-hmm. on a little drum, like, dun, dun, dun. That's the beat, okay? But Buster keeps going faster and faster. So he's like, this is my head. You heard what I said because I use my mouth, which is on a base that sits on my face that is my neck. These are my arms that keep me from harm. They I do them the hug. This is my heart. It beats like a drum because I use it to start. Like, mm-hmm. This is my leg. This is my rear. I keep it near because I use it to sit. These are my legs. I keep them there. I keep them to dance. And, like, <laughs> he, and he's going faster and faster and faster. Rob Paulson, to his credit, is going faster oh, and yeah, faster. Oh, yeah, he kills it. Oh my God, man. 
It's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, <laughs> oh yeah, then the, oh yeah, the name the the, uh, the animal song was like it's like uh it's like uh animals animals they go round and round animals animals they make different sounds like the duck like the duck kids the duck goes quack and quack 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 and then uh like so uh does anybody have another animal? Buster's like giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the giraffe goes and then he some more. <laughs> it's like, uh, does anybody have another animal? Bustle three toed sloth. <laughs> Just name these really fucked up animals. <laughs> and then finally, of course, he loses a temper and then Buster wins out in the end. It's a really good cartoon, man. Ruffled Ruffy, if you ever get a chance. Oh, yeah, and the last, really, the last great episode to me of Tiny Toons. Weekday afternoon live. Mm-hmm. There's Saturday Night Live parody, and it's a, such a dope. And they do such an accurate Saturday Night Live parody. It's fantastic, like down from the beginning and everything, man. They they do such a great job. And then of course they do the intro. The initial the intro initially is making fun of the whole Chevy Chase pratfalls they used to do in the seventies, which is which is, I don't know how audiences that that time would even got that, but yeah. So it's Buster. He's like. Live from Acme Acres, it's weekday afternoon. <laughs> and then they do the whole get down and name all the names. And they have a, and also starring, and they do make fun of the feature players on SNL. And also starring a bunch of characters that might not even make it in the show. <laughs> 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 and it's Montana Max and the weekday afternoon live band. And their host is Blart Simpleton. <laughs> Bart Simpson, basically. <laughs> Purple version of Bart Simpson. And voiced by Tress McNeil. And the whole get down was Blart Simpson apparently was uh, Spielberg's own personal jab at Fox because he provided the Indiana Jones theme song for one of the Simpsons episodes, but they wouldn't let him use Bart Simpson in return. Mm. So he's like, fuck y'all, I'm going to make my own Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it was. And I love the ending of the monologue. He's like, this guest monologue sucks. It's supposed to. It's a tradition on this show. <laughs> <laughs> they go in on SNL. Oh, yeah. The first one was a uh, first kid they had was a cheesy sneezers commercial. Was like them like making fun of Chuck E. Cheese. Of course. Next one is a uh, great moments in American history where uh, they're doing like the signing of the surrender of the Civil War or whatever, and Blart plays General Lee and Bass is doing the fucking Rob Schneider making copies thing. You know? <laughs> like, General Lee, Lee Lesky, <laughs> Lee Rama, Lee press on nails. <laughs> Next one is a uh, we're gonna blow you up. Plucky and Buster doing Hans and Franz, basically. <laughs> like, you want to do Hans and Franz? Okay. <laughs> They're like, I am Hans. And I am Franz. And we just want to pump you up. up. Just, we're going to do the clap. Okay, I okay, 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 ready? You just hold, put it right here or something. Go for it, go for it. Okay, okay, ready? Yeah. Okay. I am Hans. And I am Franz. And we just want to pump you, you up. up. <laughs> <laughs> It's better when we both clap. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they're doing Hans and Franz, but, but they do the same thing, but we're going to blow you up. So they're basically just putting air into people and blowing them up to, like, to look like they got muscles. And they keep calling him a girly pig. It was, it was Hampton. <laughs> they called him a girly pig. You're a girly pig. And then the samurai film critic, <laughs> which is Hampton and Dizzy Devil are doing the Belushi samurai. Yeah. And uh, the, all the movies they were going over, Dizzy kept fucking up. kept fucking up the screen. The movies they were going over, which are really good uh, parodies here, No Malone, again, <laughs> Home Alone 2, uh, Dances with Lobsters, Dancing with Wolves, <laughs> and Immature Radioactive Samurai Slugs 3. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what, though? I got to say, mm-hmm. I loved all those Ninja Turtle movies. Yes, right. And they also do Mr. Bill, but it's with, Mr., uh, with the skull. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, okay, so another ancillary character that Amara had was the skull on the thing would be like his own cartoon, Mr. Skullhead. Yeah. It's the <laughs> Mr. Skullhead show starring him, Mr. Skullhead. <laughs> so, yeah, they were doing a Mr. Bill, but with Mr. Skullhead. Uh, oh, yeah, and this is a great one. Week, uh, weekday update with Rabbit Chase. So Buster <laughs> doing Chevy Chase. But he would do like all the different sign-offs from all the different hosts and shit. So he did the whole, um, I'm Rabbit Chase and you're not. And he starts the story. The first story was uh, Concord Condor is revealed to be the grandson of Mo Howard from the Three Stooges because <laughs> he has similar hairstyles. And then there's, uh, there's another character called Barky Marky, which is a, like a cartoon doll they use a couple times. So they're talking about Barky Marky's lack of appearances on uh, Tiny Toons. Uh, and yeah, he said. So when asked, uh, the central casting office of uh, Bark, we, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so complaints uh, were sent to Tiny Toons central casting office, and then the, the casting director said, I "Had this to say, who's Barky Marky?" <laughs> <laughs> and then they have um, Elmira do the Emily Latella thing, where like she comes on there complaining about whatever. So Elmira's on there complaining about violence on TV. That's what mm-hmm. she's supposed to be. But she misinterprets it as violets, like the flower. <laughs> she's like, I love violets. You know, there should be more violets. And she holds up some title cards like, I love violet. You know, like, I love Lucy and the, the violet bunch. <laughs> but then Buster corrects her. Like, look, we're not talking about viol- uh, violets. We're talking about violence. Violence on TV. Oh, never you mind. <laughs> and then I'm Rabbit Chase, and he does the Dennis Miller sign off, and I am out of here. <laughs> yeah. Another commercial I had ABC gum. <laughs> Already been chewed gum, which is gross. <laughs> it's fantastic, especially and, for, for yeah. a tiny tune. And I count down the hunting season, which is basically them at like a moose lodge, but it's plucky doing the Bill Murray, Nick the Lounge singer get down. Yeah. Uh, hunting, we will go. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, hunting, we will go. Jack! <laughs> <laughs> and they had Hampton as Hamtone Jones, basically him doing Paul Schaefer. <laughs> it was great. And the last one was the Cornheads. Cornheads, mm-hmm. but it's Buster and Babs doing the corn on the head. And, and then, then, then the guest, of course, was uh, Blart Simpleton. And basically, they're preparing for their daughter, Blart. I mean, the uh, their daughter, Elmira, to go on a date with Blart. And she blows a stack of pops out of the corner of her head. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, that was really like the last great Tiny Toons episode. Uh, then after that, they actually had a couple movies and TV specials. The first one was... Hold uh, on, before we go past that. Go for it. You got one? Well, you, you kind of glossed over elephant issues. Uh, you know, because the thing, the thing that's notable about that episode is that there's actually a, uh, a segment they got in there that they only ever aired once, mm-hmm. um, and it was called One Beer. And oh, the, yeah. the reason why they decided not to, not to air it after that first one is that it was considered to be both too dark for children and mm-hmm. too light in its treatment of alcohol. And basically what happens is you've got Plucky, Buster, and Hampton mm-hmm. um, decide to sneak a beer out of the fridge, yeah. and, and they're drinking, and they, they're, they basically become like a 1930s parody of mm-hmm. drunks. Yeah. And it goes from them just sitting in a park drinking to them getting turned down by the girls, and it actually ends really dark with them, them dying in a traffic accident. Oh, wow. And they, they cut it, obviously, for those reasons afterwards. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing was is when they finally uh, said they were going to release this on DVD in 2012, yeah. Warner Brothers originally said it wasn't going to include that segment. But they did? A week later. A week after they said they weren't going to do it, they changed their mind. Ultimately, it came out. So you can find it now. Mm-hmm. I've, w- I've watched it a few times on YouTube and some stuff like that. 
They've, they've it's done, a pretty yeah. funny yeah. episode, and even their treatment of it, when you watch it, you're like, this is kind of classic Looney Tunes. Do you have any other ones? That we've, no, that, as, far, as far as segments and episodes go, that's that's the one. I've got a couple other kind of interesting like little notes, like Buster and Babs go go Hawaiian, yeah. that episode. We're written by three girls that were fans it was, of the show. It was, it was actually it was two, uh, yeah, three girls that were um, in eighth grade. Yeah, they were fans they, of the They show. were little, and they, ri- they wrote a 120-page script wow. that they sent to Warner's. Yeah. Somebody accidentally opened it in the mail office yeah. and thought it was good enough. They actually took it over and dropped it off to him. Mm-hmm. And this is like the, the criminal part. And again, with understanding Hollywood, mm-hmm. they were paid three grand and 3500 each for their submission, which that's later became that episode. That's it. That's it. That's all they ever got. Yeah, that's, that's A one-off. And then uh, another thing about the episode, which I was going to say, Spielberg actually does his voice in the episode. Oh, yeah. Spielberg. As a, oh shit, I had he, that. He, yeah, he does it as himself. Well, no, but there was another one where he he actually appeared. Uh, bu- 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 bu, where was it? He uh, <laughs> he was impersonating. I uh, know his voice was impersonated by Frank uh, Welker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 when they would do subsequent appearances of Steven Spielberg, it was Frank Welker. But there was one episode with Steven actually him. Yeah, it was actually Steven Spielberg. And then you look in his office at Amblin, whatever. You see all the movies he's been associated with. You see like uh, uh, Gremlins Two. Uh, always <laughs> movies like that, so it's really it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty, deep cut, very good deep cut. Um, but like I said, going to the uh, little movie they had, one was a uh, <laughs> uh, Tiny Toons. How I spent my summer vacation was like basically all of them going on different things for the summer. Uh, Babs and Buster go on like a uh, have a like a <laughs> have like this giant uh, water pistol fight that ends up with Amy Acres getting flooded. Uh, then they end up on a, a river raft with Byron Bassett going down like a river for the most part, and it's basically a parody of Deliverance. <laughs> Which, but, if yeah. you've never seen yeah. that movie, that's one of the darkest films oh, ever. Oh really. yeah, so awful. Uh, and then uh, Plucky tags along with Pampton and his family when he uh, finds out Hampton's family are going to Happy World Land, <laughs> the amusement park. And funny enough, Happy World Land has become my like like almost like ambiguous thing for like if I'm going to a theme park. I always say I'm going to Happy World. <laughs> like, no matter where I'm going, if I'm going to Disney or Knott's Berry Farm or Six Flags, yeah, I'm in the Happy World Land this weekend, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I love the Happy World Land song. Happy World Land, Happy World Land, where the fun doesn't stop, it only 80 bucks a pop, and beautiful Happy World Land. <laughs> Funny part about it is that's 1990. The price is not that no. changed. It's about, it's about about 100 bucks. I'm going to say it's a little over 100 right now, I think, for a day pass at Disney. Jesus Christ, that's crazy. Yeah, and then I see my friends like on Instagram and Facebook going to Disney all the time. Like, wow! I think they went once and they're just reposting shit. No, 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 no. <laughs> I hope it was like they were, they're wearing different clothes and different things. But yeah, they planned ahead. It was a photo shoot. They, they did keep, it for the Insta. And they keep asking me when I'm going to go to the Star Wars thing. I'm like, Psh, I'm uh, probably sometime after you know we're big enough that it's a pain in the ass to go. Funny enough, I'll probably go maybe when uh, they do the Marvel World. That's like next year. Yeah, it's the problem is aside from it being expensive as hell, yeah. it's a pain in the ass to get around Disney. Yeah, I know. Unless you're one of those uh, fortunate few that are a member of Club Thirty Three, which you are, or you were. No, I'm not. I've oh. never been a member. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a friend. I have a friend who's a member. He, yeah, he's taken you, me twice. Yeah, I remember you were telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the only only way I've been to Disneyland as yeah. an adult. But basically, the whole get down is like with Plucky Hamptons. It's like basically like National Lampoon's Vacation, where like everything that can go wrong does Goes go wrong. wrong. But think about it is Hamptons family is oblivious to it. They're having the time of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Plucky's feeling the brunt of everything. Oh. Then there's one point they actually take in a hitchhiker who's like this crazy dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's like got the Jason mask and the chainsaw. Like everybody else is like. But see, that's that's where yeah. you're getting like those whiffs of what would eventually become Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, and then the fucked up part about it is they go through the whole get down. They go finally make it to Happy World Land, and all they want to do is ride the monorail and then go home. <laughs> Y'all just did a cross country trip. Just to ride the monorail. You know what? If you've never seen one. Still. <laughs> they did all that just to ride the monorail. I'm like, wow. Like, real? <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, really? Only but, thing lamer than that mm-hmm. is it's a small world. Yeah. And then there's a couple other ancillary <laughs> things where uh, Fifi is chasing down this, uh, this uh, skunk movie star named Johnny Pugh. <laughs> and like basically like uh they end, yeah but uh the end, she ends up finding out that this guy that she idolizes is a complete jerk so yeah and then uh Foulmouth and Shirley go to a movie Skunkorama Skunkophobia which is basically a parody of Arachnophobia the movie and then one thing I love about it is when they do the fucking mute, the uh, the sound system test <laughs> like yeah you know, but like yeah you know, same thing where like Foulmouth's in there talking making fun of people he won't shut up. Which is embarrassing the hell out of Shirley, but then uh, they're like, "Okay, now we test the sound system." You see the little thing on the screen, and like, "Oh no, the sound system!" Test. She gets like a fucking hard hat and go ducks down. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "Boom!" Making fun of the old THX. THX, yeah. <laughs> it's like THUD thud. <laughs> and then the tagline after that: "The audience is now death." <laughs> it was great, man. Yeah, same thing. Skunkophobia, the whole gist of it, like this guy's scared of a skunk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's re- and then apparently, um, oh yeah, and then Foulmouth has seen it a hundred times. He keeps spoiling the movie for Shirley. I, I love that part about it. Well, the, the the guy in front of him finally gets mad and ties his legs in a knot. Yeah. <laughs> and then they did a couple other specials. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful, yeah, it's a wonderful Tiny Toons Christmas special in '92, basically a parody of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, another one they did was Tiny Toons Spring Break Special in 94. And the last one they did was Tiny Toons Night Goolery uh, in 95. And um, same thing, Night Gallery. You know, it was a pretty good episode. It was cool. Those are okay. Not as great as some of the other episodes. And like I said, we talked about the spinoffs, the Plucky Duck Show and the Pinky Elmira and the Brain. Now, as far as how many awards they, the shows won, like you said, they won massive awards. In 91, they won awards for Best Animated Program, Best Music Direction, and Best Original Song for the theme song. Uh, let's see what else uh, Also, they also won uh, best, <laughs> best Musical Direction for the Love Disconnection episode, <laughs> uh, Best Writing on the Animated Series, and they also won Best Animated Series again in 93. Same thing. And they won Best Music for Horror on Slumber Party Mountain. Uh, and they won some other awards. Uh, uh, new Artist Awards. They won the award for Best New Cartoon Series. They won for they were nominated for Outstanding uh, Voiceover. The Environmental Media Awards gave them an e, uh, EMA Award for Best Children's Program for the, the episode they did Whale Tales, was like an environmental thing about saving a whale, kind of like Free Willy a little bit. Yeah. And then in 2019, IGN named Tiny Toons the 41st, the 40, 41st or whatever on their uh, top 100 animated uh, television shows of all time. Mm-hmm. So. That's all I got for Tiny Toons. Well, speaking of spinoffs, because it's getting into this just a little bit. So yeah. Jim Smith and Bob Camp had originally storyboarded an episode um, that they were calling High Spirits, later renamed to Boo Hoo Hoo, that was going to be about Hampton and Plucky, where they, they bought a haunted house, and they were yeah. essentially going to uh, turn it into a clubhouse. 
Um, it was rejected, but that that literally laid the groundwork for what they eventually turned into one of our favorites. Again, talking about the adult animation spinoff, Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's actually how that uh, that side of it started. That's probably the last big piece I've got for it. But yeah, I mean, you got to give this show a lot of credit for what uh, what it eventually brought to animation and to mm-hmm. entertainment in general. Like I said, to this day now, like watching it as adult. And watching it as an actor, it's so much funnier now because, in fact, you know inside things now. You'll know, like, about certain incidences. And also, you get the jokes a little bit more now. Just like watching The Living Color now as an yeah. adult. Like some, of the, you, like, some of the things were funny when you were a kid, but then even funnier now. But as an adult, you actually know what the hell's going well, on. Well, it's like, it's, it's very similar to, like, Seinfeld, right? It's like I watched Seinfeld when I was a kid coming up. It was funny. But when I first started living on my own and I went back and watched it, it took on a whole new life because there's so much stuff you don't understand until you finally hit that that part of your life, really. Nice. All right. Well, since both of us have exhausted our notes, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, draw this one to a close. Uh, this is actually a really fun episode for me because I love the cartoon oh, so much. Yeah, man. So we're going to go catch you guys next time. We're going to discuss what we're going to be doing next week. But uh, this has been Dropping That Culture with J.D. and A.J. I'm J.D. And I'm A.J. We'll catch you next week, guys. Later. Dropping That Culture. Driving that coach. 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 Driving that coach.